Welcome to Saucer Cinema, the podcast about UFOs, aliens, and otherworldly phenomena in film, TV, and other media. I'm your host, Alex. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Aubrey Curtis and John Ferrer to talk about Asteroid City from 2023, directed by Wes Anderson. Everybody. Today I have on the podcast, uh, you know him already, John Ferrer, and we also have Aubrey Curtis, who also happened to be a married couple that um, I've known for a while, and they are here to talk about Asteroid City, directed by Wes Anderson from this year. This is probably the most recent movie we've done on the entire podcast, besides Nope, huh. which was the, uh, the episode before last. Uh, yeah, so Asteroid City, guys. Yeah, well, I think this is the fourth time I've been on and this is kind of the most nervous I've been to talk about one partially because we've kind of talked about some like disaster pieces yeah exactly and I have some genuine affection for the Mario movie from the 90s that was the last time the last one we did yeah but still it's a very that's on a very particular wavelength and it's kind of easy to talk about since it's kind of a famous uh fiasco right but Something about talking about a Wes Anderson movie is very intimidating, partially because it's kind of become this thing that's like, like how you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics around the dinner table. (laughs) You you don't discuss Wes Anderson. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Well, he's like one of those guys, like, I mean, I, I never really caught into him a lot. Spoiler, I love this movie and I like a few of his movies, but it was, his thing was never really like my thing. Mm -hmm. But it was like, he was always one of those guys, at least he has, you admire that he has an aesthetic, he has a thing, at least, he has something that he likes, he has, he's not just some anonymous guy shooting, like, people in front of a green screen or whatever, you know, know, he's one of the, one of the few, like, big, I mean, almost household name auteurs around, so, I mean, that's, that's something. Right. You see a lot of that same resentment against auteurs and people who are just have a sensibility at all mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think which is weird and uh but i think also um it has to do kind of with a very there's a kind of a class element to it and that his stuff i mean i'm just saying tends to be about and appeal to you know white uh upper middle or, or higher class people and and sure. and and things like that and like the sensibilities of it are really tied to a certain mid-century version of that sure. it's like Sligar's royal tenenbaums is a really good example like it, it's about rich people and again right. and yeah. that's not, not criticism of that movie at all it's that's that's one of my favorites of his by far but no like, but he, i mean like life aquatic same thing it's about like a rich guy yeah, who just has like yeah. so much money that he can just like go to sea go out to sea like yeah. whenever he wants to and just like yeah it kind of goes back to like i mean to the uh the he who must not be named issue of i mean that's the classic woody allen problem yeah yeah okay mm-hmm. and, and wes anderson is the new guy who's doing 
what you kind of, kind of have to call the Woody Allen model, right? which is that yeah. he's quietly doing whatever he wants to do in his corner. And he's not making movies for anybody else. He's not doing kind of like a one for them. Exactly. Like he's only making Wes Anderson movies and they all um, are modest enough successes that he just keeps doing them almost constantly, like almost faster than, than anybody else is making movies. Exactly. And they're all about upper class um, white people. Yeah. Well, I've never somebody described his style as being like a live action New Yorker cartoon or something, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, there is a little bit of that in there. I definitely think that's, in there. that's, I mean, it's that's kinda, a it's, really good point, though, yeah. because it is like. But, but the thing is, his movies connect with a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. It's always been a strange thing for me because without personalizing it too much, just like I like when I was um, in, uh, I guess, high school. Uh, well, let me think. So Ru Rushmore came out 98, I think. So, yeah, yeah, I was still, yeah. still in high school. So I was like a huge, huge Bill Murray fanatic, which we were just talking about how it's getting to be a compl complicated thing. Yeah. yeah. But um, I mean, unfortunately, but obsessed to the point that I ran like the Bill Murray website, like on, on the internet. Like if you oh, really, I mean, this was the nineties. So it was a very, yeah, it was before like everything had a website. Gotcha. And that was kind of how I trained myself on HTML and stuff was I, I had a Bill Murray site. So oh. towards the end of running that, I remember kind of running a thing being kind of like, hey, he's working on this movie uh, for Disney called Rushmore. Because that was kind of how it first came out because it was technically like touchdown under Disney. Yeah. I went to go see Rushmore um, just purely as like a Bill Murray fanatic. And I guess I should, it wasn't just that I went to see, I think when the first trailer dropped for Rushmore, I mean, it changed my life. I can't even like, I know it's become such a, it's like saying you like pumpkin spice lattes or whatever. Like it's kind of like, oh, oh yeah, hey, you, love, you love Wes yeah. Anderson, but like, You're like tearing up a little. Yeah, I know. That's the, that's the thing is, like, I'm worried I'm going to get like choked up because I'm 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 a little bit of a of a fanboy for him. And and again, it's yeah. a lot of it is because in 1998 when I was still sort of trying to figure out, um, you know, I was into I think pretty good things already. I think I already liked the Coen Brothers and and yeah. other kind of legit cinema. But I thought I was waiting for this kind of Again, you, you hear about this movie that's going to be Bill Murray like teaching a kid about life and love, and you're like, oh, <laughs> God, yeah. I get it. I see what this is. And then I saw the trailer, and I was like, oh, that is not what I thought was coming. And then I went to Blockbuster to get um, Bottle Rocket, and that also just like – Oh, yeah. And I mean just that, that kind of one-two punch meant that I would never not be at least partially affected by that rhythm and that – uh, and really, that was at the point where Owen Wilson was still a huge part of that style of humor. Um, yeah, for sure. Because he, he wrote those first uh, three yeah. movies with Wes. Did they grow up together? Yeah, they, they were they were essentially like like brothers. Okay, gotcha. Kind of just always over at each other's house and, and essentially siblings and came up together. And Owen and Wes were sort of always planning to, you know, create this dynasty that they actually pulled off. Pretty amazing. So it, it's hard not for me not to be very personal about it. And um, and I kind of drafted Aubrey into it. <laughs> I feel personally connected to it, too, I guess, like emotionally, I guess. Like I just it was something that I connected with emotionally more than most other things. Yeah. But yeah, John introduced me to it. We went to a screening of Royal Tenenbaums, I think, at like Furman. Oh, wow. 
what year did Royal Tenenbaums come out? You're the year master. That was 2001. 2001, 2001 yeah. is when it came out. Good job. You guys, amazing. I can't do that at all. <laughs> I remember it because I was actually working at the movie theater at the time. Oh, oh yeah. nice. Yeah, so we saw that, and then I went backwards, Rushmore, and then Bottle Rocket. And yeah. Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou is, like, it alternates with, like, what are two other movies as my favorite movie, like, ever. And then oh. Bottle Rocket is, like, definitely in my top ten ever, so... Yeah. And those two, I'm like always very close to my heart, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, I, that's great. I remember Rushmore coming out and I thought it was funny, but it like parts of it didn't, I, I don't think his whole thing, I don't think I'd seen enough like Hal Ashby movies and things like mm-hmm. that stuff that was like really informing his sensibility, you know, at the time, I don't think mm-hmm. I'd, I'd really had a frame of reference for his, I mean, I, I, I liked surreal and silly humor, yeah. but I think he was, was a, so he's very specifically kind of, <sighs> I don't want to say twee, sometimes twee, but it's eccentric, I guess. Sometimes bordering on a little too precious. The thing is, it's not really when you get down to it, but like it can be, you could, I mean, you you could sort of like take a sliver of that sensibility and turn it into a dumbed down version of it, I'm sure. But like his, his actual movies are actually a lot more emotionally complex and interesting than just quirk fests or something that I think sometimes he, he gets his reputation. Yeah, true. I feel like it's it's weird to some people because it's like the characters are so kind of dry in a lot of ways, but then it's like almost fantasy the way that everybody acts. Yeah. Like, you know, we'll get into it with this movie, but like the kids are all like ridiculously precocious and then Yes. All of the adults are just like dead inside. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that kind of contrast between sort of like fantastical type stuff and then just like cynicism is very uh, unique to him, I think. Yeah. Just the way he yeah. combines those two elements. Yeah. I mean, at first glance, sometimes it's kind of like turtlenecks and espressos and just <laughs> like CD. a. a a very particular, what'd you say? OCD. Yeah, there's, just, yeah. there's everything's very particular, which I think is why there's been so many, I mean, of course, I mean, it's famous that people keep trying to do what he's done and, and not really being able to quite make it work because it's mm-hmm. very specific. Yeah, stuff like uh, Garden State or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trying to make you kind of like feel all the feels at the right times. Exactly. It's, just, it, it's very hard to do it in his way, which right now is kind of a big thing because everybody's doing these these AI versions and these. Um, oh yeah, there, yeah. There was the whole like kind of TikTok trend of like yeah, even even like businesses and stuff. Like we're doing this whole like, what if we were a Wes Anderson movie? And everyone you watch, you're just like, that's not Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 people have their own kind of idea. And it's like it mostly just kind of comes out to like you center everything, yeah, and and you use just like a few like very particular colors, right, and then you just make everything kind of cute or or mid century mm-hmm. style of everything, yeah. It always strikes me as so strange because it's like the it's this weirdest insult that he makes everything too perfect. Yeah, I mean, it also really accentuates the flaws in the characters too. I mean, that's like getting like really yeah. Deep. yeah. But like if if every single little detail is like perfection and like every word is perfectly like, you know, like on the signs at restaurants and stuff. It's like people don't put signs up like that. Like they would just write on the chalkboard, but it's like perfectly aligned text. And there's like not one single frame that's like one degree off of perfection kind Mm -hmm. of, of the way that, you know, he wants it to look. And it's like, yeah, but that kind of, to me, part of the point of that is that it's like all kind of a mask over top of like the people's like crumbling lives. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
Yeah. Yeah. Even when he does something that's supposed to be kind of like, I mean, he, he does this a lot or it'll be kind of like, now we're going to see like the dingy underworld. Mm-hmm. And even that is <laughs> yeah, kind of perfect. this very perfect. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. Like it, he'll show you the kind of like rats and the scum, but it's, it's Wes Anderson style. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, also, I think like going to the theme of your podcast with sci-fi and everything, like, I think his movies have this element of like science fiction or fantasy just naturally in them because it's removed from reality. They're self-contained worlds. Yeah, exactly. It's like they're on some parallel universe that like none of us live on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I connect more with that. Like personally, I've always connected more with like fantasy covering up the emotions than just like going right in for it and just a straight drama. Yeah. I think one of the things that people maybe like miss the mark on a little bit when they try to replicate Wes Anderson's style is the way that he does like depression and like depressed characters because I feel like it's very it's subtle in a way that makes it sadder it's kind of like mixed in with the style I don't know people say things so dryly and then you're like wow that makes me just want to die what you just said (laughs) but they say it in a way that's like devoid of emotion and it like hits me harder I don't know if that makes sense but yeah for sure there's so much like disappointment and Mm -hmm. resentment and anger and his characters yeah Mm -hmm. this movie is no exception like his characters are like yeah they might talk kind of like drolly but they're i mean they're obviously just you could see it either on the actor's face or you can see it by the way you know he's placing the camera doing things it's, he's doing things in interesting ways they're like it's not necessarily naturalistic yeah and, and why some people don't emotionally connect to it is that no one ever really has these moments where they kind mm. of sit break down and talk about their feelings mm-hmm. um i mean again jump jumping ahead to this movie i mean you've got a character who's maybe one of Wes Anderson's most broken characters. Most repressed, um, probably, too. Yeah. Jason Schwartzman's character, he kind of never reveals his feelings, and yet you get this sense that that there's really nobody sadder. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is maybe jumping ahead a bit, but I was, like, thinking, is that character based a little, like, not entirely, but, like, a little bit on Stanley Kubrick? Yeah, like, Stanley Kubrick wore photography and, and, and yeah, the general look... I don't know that personality-wise it's it's right. in there, but for sure the beard and the um, photographer thing, I think, is a direct Kubrick thing. Yeah. From kind of the bits and pieces I've, I've looked at from some of the behind-the-scenes interviews and everything. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to Asteroid City, because Asteroid City yeah. is interesting in that it's really just him kind of cutting loose and having fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. obviously, there's the same themes he's always had, like alienation and depression and like repression and people just like holding in, holding in this well of just seismic resentment that they just don't know what to do with and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, but it's also like just him having so much fun with like the setting and the time and the 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 meta layer too is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, again, it's definitely like like it's it's almost like hilarious how sometimes the criticisms that people launch against him again, it, it's like, he, he just, he'll do it times a thousand the next time. <laughs> this, Doubles down. Yeah. I mean, Asteroid city is just going crazy with um, the fact that he's making the uh, presentation or the format as much a part of the movie as, as the story. So, I mean, you've got a movie that's multiple layers deep. Yeah. And kind of, again, unapologetically sort of incomprehensible in some of the things that it's doing to, yeah. to just, uh, I mean, the trailer for this movie just showed 
the movie with the, the, the play within the movie. Yeah. So That's for fair. the average person that wasn't kind of reading up on this or anything, they go and they get this intro with Brian Cranston and they're immediately so like, <laughs> what the fuck? Not, am I even the right movie? Um, like what's happening? So yeah, just the levels <laughs> of like, um, this is a, the, the Russian nesting doll thing that he, that he's, yeah. Again, that's something that he's been um that has been a complaint about him before is Yeah, he's like, Well what about four layers yeah, this time? It's it's very <laughs> hold it's very hold my beer in the way in the way <laughs> wait till you see the next movie. Honestly, I, yeah. that's so good. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. But I, I I think honestly, like the things that as I said, I like he's never been my thing. I like a lot of his movies, but I just they just never was like my thing. But this movie for some reason really fucking hit me mm-hmm. aesthetically emotionally everything it was just like i don't know it was just perfect for me uh it was like probably my one of my favorite movies of the year mm-hmm. nice yeah well i think also weirdly because it came the week uh around a week or two before the whole barbenheimer thing oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i feel weirdly that this is kind of i know this is kind of funny but um it's kind of like the weird midpoint between those two movies in a, aesthetically <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's such an interesting point yeah. because they talk it's yeah they talk about like the nuclear testing yeah, and there's, stuff there's yeah bombs and there's pink yeah <laughs> yeah 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 we have like one you know one's a, like a, a humorous stylized world and the other one is this like you know dour like very serious drama about you know the history and war right and, that's an amazing point i love yeah that. and it's, yeah. it's like but it's like right smack in the middle of that in a weird way i well mm-hmm. one of my favorite things one of my favorite like sort of hobbies is thinking of like two movies or two bands or two <laughs> right. artists or something and thinking of what the exact midpoint between those two are mashing them up <laughs> right yeah yeah either something that is just like yeah either mashing them up or, or thinking about like think of another artist that could serve as that yeah like for example say like if you're talking about 90s like alternative indie rock music or whatever you think about uh on one pole you'd have something that's maximalist and over the top like smashing pumpkins then you have something that's kind of like lo-fi and goofy or like pavement and then mm-hmm. i would think the exact midpoint would be something like dinosaur jr there's there's bombast but there's also the lo-fi thing so i'm thinking like like with this it is definitely that with i know that's a weird comparison to make with this but i was like no that's really a good point i love that yeah Yeah, yeah. it makes me like like there's the the thing in like the player robert altman oh yeah oh yeah speaking of people that just kind of operate in their own lane and do whatever they want (laughs) exactly exactly Um, oh god such an amazing movie yeah he's got that thing in the player where like everybody always pitches the elevator pitch which is always just kind of like it's diehard meets some like it hot or or whatever yeah (laughs) but yeah to actually to actually figure out like what is that that movie yeah which really like plays in because there's so much um i mean just in wes anderson in general there's so much about artifice but in this movie in particular there's so much about i mean you're watching a fake movie Uh, yeah (laughs) and there's so there's just there's so many things where he's just he's pointing to the artifice which is again kind of the classic wes anderson trope i guess but the way that he's kind of just maximizing it with this thing where you've got imaginary situations on top of imaginary situations that are never pretending to be anything but and constantly calling attention to that yeah including fourth wall breaking and, and everything yeah <laughs> <Brian> <laughs> Branson randomly walking into the yeah <laughs> Yeah. the wrong part of the movie like this the color of the play right. yeah yeah we, we like last night when we were watched re-watching the movie we kept going back to the every brian cranston like intro and just yeah. like 
going through it and being like, okay, what is he saying here? Let's like think about this logically. <laughs> Step <laughs> through it. Where are we? What's happening? Like really trying to yeah. Get well, into it's, it. it's it's tricky because I mean, the first time I saw it, I had so much fun. Yeah. Like I just enjoyed yeah. it as, as kind of a comedy. But I, I think the first time I saw it, I, I couldn't completely track all the emotional arcs that were going on. And I couldn't, like, I, I understood on a, the most basic level what was going on with the the play inside the, yeah. uh, the, the broadcast. Play. But it took me, like, this was my third time watching it. And I, had, I just, it, it was hard for me to get past. I kept kind of going, so is, are they trying to set this up where this was a play that happened in the past and now this TV production is mounting like a history of that play and it took a lot like we really had to kind of piece through it to kind of arrive at what he's really saying in the intro is that this is a fake play about a fake play yeah is that it's, a, yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a um we're doing a behind the scenes like a reenactment in mm-hmm. quotes of yeah. what happened behind the scenes of a play that doesn't exist. Yes, so like exactly. all of the actors are playing a character that was also an actor yeah. <laughs> in a play that never happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it took me actually like a few uh, viewings to really get across in my head that, oh, there's like, okay, it's not just a play within a movie. It's, it's yeah, like you said, it is a TV production of a play of a behind the scenes play about the play about yeah <laughs> which it's is freaking a twisted <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 it's 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 absolutely and again like if you're if you're a wes anderson detractor you can just feel that person turning into like a like a wanking gif you know like, oh like... yeah <laughs> <laughs> totally but totally. I, that's i love that stuff so yeah. much like me too, me too. Like it's, it's a part of your brain like i was kind of saying before like that like sci-fi and fantasies and stuff ignites that yeah. like Wes Anderson doesn't always fully ignite, and now he's like fully going there. Mm, yeah, that's kind of why I responded to this one a lot. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, the alien shit's all. I'm a mark for that shit, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's like something where you have to think about like all these different layers of things, like yeah. memento or yeah. And I think the same in this movie. I mean, it's like even if you don't really get which layer you're watching, I mean, you get the emotions that are being conveyed. Yeah. That was the thing for me, like on the first watch, because I didn't. Yeah, I've only seen it twice, actually. Last night, I mean, last night, I guess we kind of rewatched some scenes, but yeah, the first time I saw it, yeah, it was like I loved it, but I couldn't like articulate what was going on exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but that wasn't like that didn't make it an not enjoyable experience. Like yeah. you still can enjoy the movie without fully grasping all of that. But yeah, I mean, I think the key is that it's super enjoyable. Um, again, totally subjective. Some people will not enjoy it, but you're, that's what you're, you're looking for is that is that it's super enjoyable, but then you can also have the fun of piecing it together. Yeah. Yeah. You I, mean, I know you, you just did um, Nope. I feel like that particular movie. piece has a similar thing where mm-hmm. I just find Jordan Peele's movies just so fun to watch yeah. the first time. And then you can kind of sit there after it's landed and kind of go, so what did this mean? What did this mean? Try to connect it all. And that's nothing new. I mean, that's basically how movies are supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. But there's there's something fascinating about trying to find that exact level where you're doing some pretty complicated stuff, but it's also just playing as enjoyable. So that, may, that means it's rewarding to try to figure out 
um, okay, what exactly is going on here? Like, how many layers deep are we into Asteroid City? Yeah. Um, <laughs> to being frustrated by it and just feeling like I didn't understand it, which I know is a common reaction. I know when we walked out of the first time, I heard a couple of people just when it was, being when I first saw it, it was a packed theater, like when it first came out and there were definitely some people like talking to like their, their loved ones that were just like, well, I didn't get that at all. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Johnny Darko to me, kind of like every time I watch Johnny Darko, I'm like, got it, got it. And then like five minutes later, I have no idea what happened in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's made, made worse by the fact that movie's director's cut is really confusing too oh like, yeah it's adds, like it's adds, supposed to explain things and just adds more confusion yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean but well, yeah but wes anderson is definitely like the polar opposite in the sense of like oh he he achieved exactly what he set out to achieve and, true and he does it very well yeah you never get the sense that he, he didn't do what he what he set out to do that's i mean bad. if he came to clean my house it would be i wouldn't be able to find a du- piece of dust <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i believe that <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And like, uh, it's so funny. He's from Texas, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is a, which is one of the interesting things about him. And like, uh, I always thought because I think he's, he's I guess he lives in Europe now or something. But like, you know, I mean, this is a armchair bullshit, a psychology thing. But like, <laughs> people like us, the weirdos, live in a red state. You know, where like you get that kind of yearning to get out of it sometimes or make or make something in, in opposition to the yeah. culture that dominates here and mm-hmm. i think that he's like the perennial or the quintessential sorry the wrong word <laughs> uh <laughs> example of that kind of person is like going against the grain of the place he was from kind of yeah to the point where he's become almost the super like uh arch european-ish like mm-hmm. neo neo not like, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah. And he somehow manages to like integrate it though. You know, like the whole like cowboy vibe exactly. is kind of in there too, but it's like in a way that's more, um, yeah, more, it's like a European cowboy. <laughs> that's right. what he is basically. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's, well, I mean, he's got that, I mean, he can't, you can't take, you could take the boy out of Texas, but you can't take the <laughs> Texas out of the boy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's funny to see like with um I mean with like Luke and Owen and Andrew Wilson. Yeah. You see so much more of that kind of like Texas slacker thing. Like Yeah, yeah they're Texas they're just kind of like, Texan surfers. Yeah, just the McConaughey right. like uh, just taking it easy kind yeah. of thing. But like also people that you would want to hang out with. Like they seem really totally. cool. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you get that weird thing with Wes Anderson where um yeah, he's got that. He's got that piece of those guys, but then he's also. It's hard to think. Uh, I mean, I love the Wilson brothers mm-hmm. more more than most people probably. Same. But it's hard to imagine <laughs> them. Uh, Owen Wilson's not going to clean your house and not. No, oh no, of course so not. You can't let no, Owen Wilson no, no, no. into your house w- at all. Wes Anderson <laughs> is Luke Wilson with OCD. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of see. But like, but like, that, c- controlled. He knows how to manage it. He knows what to do with it to like make it. Yeah. It's like when you have some eccentricity and you can turn it into beautiful art. That's like what he's doing. He like has severe anxiety yeah. and he's like making wonderful, pic- wonderful movies with it. Instead of pictures, like I was in the 20s. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'm so jealous of people who can use their quirks to like their advantage. Exactly. All my quirks are fucking debilitating. And like, <laughs> same. same. I'm like, I just lay face down in my bed. Like, I don't exactly. like <laughs> Exactly. Oh my god. Uh, should we get into the plot of the movie at least a little bit? Yeah. Geez. So we, we, hi. Kind of, we kind of arrived. At Welcome to Astro City. <laughs> so we got to the intro slash framing device. Yeah. Um, which is interesting to me because I don't think that people, I don't think the average moviegoer really understands what's going on there in the sense that 
in like the sixties, that was like a very standard thing was that you'd have these, um, yeah. Plays broadcast on TV, like playhouse 90 and craft theater, which was kind of um, like a, after the, after radio shows were famous, right? Like, after yeah, the kinda, yeah, kind of in the, I mean, it was probably went quite a while after that, but like, that was definitely like a remainder of how do you fill up TV space? In the um, of it, kind of. Yeah. So they would mount plays that were like Broadway or off Broadway plays. Um, since the actors already knew how to do it, they would stage it like live um, for the cameras. And that was like a pretty normal like primetime thing to air. Kind of wish that was still a thing, honestly. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. There's actually really good examples of it. Like, um, I mean, Sidney Lumet directed a bunch of those. Mm -hmm. uh, Playhouse 90, I think, was like John Frankenheimer directed like almost like a hundred of them, I think. Like a lot. Yeah. And, and a lot of them are like um, lost, but a lot of them are, I mean, that's how Rod Serling got started. Yeah. He was doing some of those plays for TV. A lot of Twilight's episodes actually have that kind of feel to it. Like, Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that very theatrical vibe. And that was such a huge part of like early television, but it's fascinating how little handholding there is in this movie yeah. to kind of explain. So you're watching a broadcast of a, of a play. There's one shot, right? The opening shot, you see the cameras on him and that's it. And yeah, it zooms and he, in and, and then he launches into time. it in classic Wes Anderson, fast talk style. <laughs> um, it's unlikely that you're going to pick up all the nuances of what that framing device is on your first pass. Yeah. But you know, I think, I think, I think you can roll with it uh, as, as everyone did, but yeah. Yeah. The that, black and white versus color, I think helps, right? Like it helps yeah. to kind mm -hmm. of put them as two separate things in your mind. Yeah. yeah. That's always a really good, easy way to do it. And I, I mean, in a good way or easy, not, I don't mean like, Oh, that's an easy way to do it. <laughs> yeah. But a good visual way. Yeah. He should have done it with a series of hand signals at the corner of the, of the screen to do it. That, that would have been really cool. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that the, the cues are there for you to figure out the minimum that you need to know. Yeah. Um, I think some of the details, like the timeline, took a while for me to fully track. And right. I'm saying that as somebody pretending like I do fully track it, but <laughs> I, I think I'm kind of on top of it now <laughs> after after Freedom. watching it like <laughs> with my hand on the pause button and, <laughs> and reading the subtitles and. Yeah, but it makes uh, it very rewatchable, right? Because yeah, like, it's, it's like any yeah. movie where you get to the end and you're like, "Oh, I think I might understand this," and you watch it again and you, you have like a new perspective. Kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love, I love that. I, I really, I really do think it's rewarding. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's why he's a real, like, a real director and not just like some guy. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so like this framing device, uh, yeah, like you said, it's basically based on the 50s and 60s tel like televised plays and things like that. And then, uh, of course, the titular Asteroid City is the play that is being put on in the production, in the play itself, which is uh, the televised play, which is about the making of Asteroid City, mm -hmm. which... Again, like we said, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it does get kind of hilarious when you, the more you talk about it. So it's you like, almost need like a Wes Anderson style like chart, like yeah. you need to map it out with mm -hmm. like with a like with and... yarn, yeah, and, like, like, pins and Char yarn. the Charlie yeah. Day thing. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I think the thing about the movie, again, I'm not, this is away from the plot again, but uh, the thing about the movie, though, is that even if, like, the actual, like, whatever layer it's on, you're still getting that kind of emotional continuity with the rest of it. Yeah. You know, it's still kind of connecting, like, the it's like the actors that are playing these characters are still kind of carrying themselves. And it's kind of, and even, the, even the Asteroid City story itself is kind of, you know, people are 
putting on fronts. They're not saying what they're really wanting to say and right. things like that. And they're doing their own kind of acting. And it kind of it kind of continues its own sort of like in every layer. It has its own kind of like a contribution to the theme. Yeah, and like the the ask the characters in the asteroid city play are like going on like an emotional journey kind of, and then the actors play well, and then. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and then the, actor, the actors playing them that are in the behind the scenes part of the play are also on a journey. And then the actual actors are like going through stuff at the same time, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, every one of those people, like the real actors, the real life actors mm-hmm. are playing like three different emotional arcs for their characters that they're playing. Like they're playing three right. characters kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. And yeah, I think um, it, it would be so much easier to talk about if the framing device play wasn't called Asteroid City. Then, <laughs> yeah. Then you right, it's like Asteroid and, City and then also Asteroid City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's like Asteroid City and then there's like sub Asteroid City. Yeah. It's very cool. like Wes, Anderson, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City and then we can say, what is Conrad Earp's Asteroid City? Yeah, there you go. That, that yeah. makes sense. Yep. That totally that totally tracks. Oh yeah, Conrad Earp. He's like the one one of the only the playwright. One of the few like characters that because he's not the actor. He's oh, the, good point. Does he have a character in the Asteroid City part at all? No. So it's it's just Ed Norton playing a yeah. guy that's yeah. playing Conrad Earp. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So just, he's he's the only one with three layers. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. The, the other the other crazy thing is that. Um, Wes Anderson is actually making sure to let you know that you are not seeing everything of either part. So you're not seeing the full broadcast. You're seeing select pieces of the broadcast. Right. Yeah. So I I think it's fair to say that Conrad Earp is the star of... Interesting. Yeah, of the broadcast. Conrad Earp is the star of the external... That's a good point. The external Asteroid City, but he's not even in the internal Asteroid City. Yeah, he's the star of the... TV broadcast, but we're only seeing chunks of the broadcast. Yeah. So, oh boy, it's getting it, it, it gets <laughs> it gets stonery real fast. Yeah, exactly. Right. I was like, thinking, I was just thinking, if you just like try to describe this movie, like literally, you just sound like <laughs> just sound like a weed conversation just going on. <laughs> but I think I think one of the things that's so great is that it's intentionally letting those things bleed together. Like that's yeah. part. Yeah. I think that maybe is even. That's the point of the, that the, last the scene. The key to the whole yes. movie is that, is that everything's bleeding together. Yes. And what's fascinating about that to me is that it almost forces you to bring in another layer, which is by the time you're thinking about, okay, so I'm looking at Augie, but I'm also looking at Jones Hall, the actor playing Augie. Yeah. It's almost impossible to not also go, and I'm looking at Jason Schwartzman. Well, mm-hmm. but and you're looking at the unnamed guy that's playing Jones Hall that's also playing Augie. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We don't. We we don't get the uh yeah that's the, again for you the, the, with the tv layer you're not getting like yeah there's there's one more level of actors whose names and personalities you don't even know i mean you see them you, you only see it for like a second but in towards the end in act three you see like oh that's uh, right yeah jason swartzman when he goes out on the like the, the balcony or the see, fire escape I, I, think or whatever. I think that's in the play do you i don't i think, I think that, he left the play i think it's in the play because <laughs> this is not gospel. Oh, wait a second. Because he's talking the to the woman about the part she was supposed to have in the play. Is that what I, you're going to say? I think she's That's part. Right. I think it's all still part of the external play. And I think it tricks you for a second because. Yeah, but he breaks character when he says the thing about that burning the hand. Jones Hall breaks Augie's character. Right. 
Yeah. But the the actor playing Jones so that, Hall doesn't. So break character. it was scripted for the actor playing Jones Hall to break character at that moment. I think so. I think it trips you up because it seems like they're trying to break it. But I think that the play is still going because... Yeah, but I think they, the play is going in the background I, because they talk about... He says, I've got six and a half minutes. And I think he's talking about... Oh, but you're right. That's that's, that's Conrad Herb's yeah. Asteroid City. Yes, that, oh, man. No, I know. Um, <laughs> this is a lot. This is a lot. Yeah, it, fe- it feels like an actor actually burned his hand, but then remembered that they say... No, the, I didn't. Th- I don't think the actor burned oh, okay. his hand. Because they I say think the that... understudy is, is wrapping his hand right now when Jones Hall is, <laughs> the, is leaving Conrad... Conrad, oh boy. Conrad, Conrad Earp. When Jones Hall leaves Conrad Earp's <laughs> Asteroid City for too long, uh, Matt Dillon, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say Matt Dillon because that makes it even more confusing. The, the, guy. the actor that Matt Dillon is playing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Everyone has signed this is off. wild. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is like when you, you know, like how some like little bands will break up and then like it'll be two different all rival versions of the same band or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. This reminds me of weirdly. Also, like you remember Gallagher? There's like Gallagher one. Right, Gallagher two. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that the only fourth wall breaking is being done within the television production of Conrad Earp's Asteroid City. City. So you think we never actually see the character that you you think we never actually see the actor that Jason Schwartzman is playing that is on the broadcast. I think that, yeah, there's technically an unseen layer of actors that are performing in this TV broadcast. See, I thought that was the one moment where we did see him and that like, but I I, I see what you're saying. I could be wrong, but again, I think what is so fascinating about it is I think that once you're that many levels deep, I think that the point becomes it's all the same because yeah, yeah, exactly. They're becoming each other. Yeah. If an actor is performing a part, there's no way that they even night they, after night after night. Yeah, even the world's greatest actor is not going like like even somebody that their whole point is that they disappear into a role like mm-hmm. Daniel Day Lewis. You're still seeing Daniel Day Lewis come mm-hmm. through in, in mm-hmm. ways that that Daniel Day Lewis may not even understand. Right, but see, that's kind of why I thought the scene where he's talking to his Conrad Erp Asteroid City wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was hard. Played on, by the, Barbie. on the balcony is played by also Barbie, weirdly. <laughs> yeah. Another kind of like, like emerging of Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. Yep. Crazy. But like in that moment, I was thinking exactly what you're saying, but in a different way that he was merging with his character because he had emotional investment in what his character was going through looking at her. Mm-hmm. But I get what you're saying, that that's not, that's him playing the part of the actor merging with the guy in Conrad or right. City. Wow. Okay. It's very dense, yeah. yeah. And I, I almost feel like we're handicapping the, the podcast conversation a little bit by starting with the framing device, which is the most complicated thing about this movie. And 90% <laughs> of the movie is this really fun, sci-fi, crazy movie. Yeah. Um, and, but we're and starting at the outside movie. working our way We're starting at the outside and working our way in, which makes sense logically, but I feel like it's the most confusing part to to talk about. But it's like but I think <laughs> once you get it, or I don't know if we really get it, but once you get like sort of it, <laughs> then the movie takes on like another level of mm-hmm. yeah. impact. Yeah, absolutely. So it's good to know that going in absolutely but you know what's actually what's great about the movie too is that you could just subtract all the framing device stuff and just keep mm-hmm. the central story and it would still be awesome i mean I you would just... lose the delightful little brian cranston like overlaid on top of the screen yeah. thing true, true. yeah but i do I, I actually think that on a first pass your best bet is to sort of log those black and white scenes in the back of your mind i mean that's literally what my brain come did back to it right 
Yeah. I definitely was watching the play the first time. I was yeah. not comprehending what was happening behind the scenes at all the first time. Yeah. Like and it I was, go. I was glossing over it in my mind. Kind right. Of. And what I think is so interesting, going, going back to the artifice and kind of like not pretending that anything isn't fake. I think what all becomes so interesting here is that you are being told over and over again that this is a fake thing within a fake thing. Yeah, Brian Cranston says the word imaginary like 15 times right. in and his it, intros. <laughs> but it's impossible yeah. not to be invested in the movie, even though you're constantly being... It's basically like the... Uh, I mean, again, it's a very theatrical thing where like um, Samuel Beckett plays or something. What we yeah. always... Like, kind of, they'll never let the audience forget that they're watching a play instead of being wrapped up into it. We'll constantly kind of bring attention to, you know, don't forget there's stagehands. Um, yeah, yeah. Literally like walking. The Brechtian around. thing. And mm-hmm. all Which Wes Anderson is, yeah, Brechtian. That's a better, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wes, he does, he Wes does Anderson is doing dolls, that. And the Raw Doll adaptations too, where yeah. you see stagehands come in. And yeah. it's like, if you're a, like a film school person, sometimes you're sort of trained to not. Like, like the whole point is don't break the illusion. Like, yeah. like don't don't let people drop their suspension of disbelief. But what's fascinating is that if you keep telling people, don't forget this is fake, it doesn't matter. Like, like you're, yeah, you're, you still you're, become you're, invested. Yeah, you're still exactly. going to follow the story, right? Yeah, because I'm, st- I'm still like watching it caring about Augie, even though I know that he's like four levels of fake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> an invention of an invention of an invention. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I still care about you. I know that you're very, very yeah. not real, but I still care. <laughs> It's actually a very oh, big overlap there with like Lynch in a lot of his movies where he goes mm-hmm. like, between layers of like dream person versus real person versus, yeah. yeah, you know, things like that. And like, and the thing is, they're all they're all blur into each other because you know, at the same time, we're all, you know, humans who have the same emotion, same base set of emotion. You know, we're, there's like yeah. a lot of things yeah. that are universal. And like, I think also it's in a way, uh, maybe not consciously, but in a sense, I think he's kind of like showing off showing up his critics by saying like hey look yeah i know my style is very mannered and very this or that but like you're when you watch it you do get invested in it it's something that has power you still feel something it's yeah, power, yeah. And that, and that's the power of art like yeah you of course you know this is just paint on a canvas or whatever but it's like when you see it all put together and it's all done it's it just it's mad it's like a kind of magic that happens you know yeah. yeah it's like the the act of getting lost in it's like a conscious choice that we're making exactly to say like this right. is fake but we still care exactly yeah. you can even put a giant neon sign up saying this is fake and it doesn't matter people no. people still love if the, it's good art then people people connect. just love storytelling which is a huge yeah. part of this movie is kind yeah. of the idea of like we're just going to tell stories no matter what gets in our way that's just what we do exactly but yeah I, I, getting back to just kind of like yeah it's it's so interesting to me that even though the movie makes a point of showing you how different the actors are from the characters they're playing, there's also a point that it's making that they're not that different. So and they like, talk about them merging several times. Like Brian yeah, Cranston exactly. even says like they merged with the character, and mm-hmm. yeah, you see stuff like like there's there's stuff that's almost kind of like a joke. Like Rupert Friend, who is a guy who I had no interest in. He was kind of like a, a TV guy mostly, like a costume drama, yeah. like you know, sort of like just like a guy who I just thought was like that's a guy who's attractive and so he's successful (laughs) yeah exactly and now through like 
three Wes Anderson appearances, I'm like, oh, I love Rupert Friend. Hey, it's he the Channing the Tatum effect. It's the Channing Tatum effect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> John just... was like, look at this guy. He's just hot, whatever. Yeah, and yeah. then he was like in a couple movies, and John was like, he's kind of great. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't get enough of Rupert Friend all of a sudden between, <laughs> between Asgard City and uh, Ron Dawson. Yeah. He's so great. He's a blast in that movie, uh, The Death of Stalin. Have you seen that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do love Death of Stalin. So, he yeah. plays Stalin's fail son. Uh, right, right. right. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, he was like really funny in that. Yeah, he's a good actor. I think it's just like, again, the stuff you see him in is going to color what you think. And Sure. But they kind of do the joke thing where he's playing this like total hick in the yeah. inner asteroid city. And then when he has one line in the external asteroid city, he's doing the more Rupert Friend British thing. Like it's like, yeah. oh, he's like a refined British actor who's playing this dumb cowboy. Exactly, uh, and that's played as kind of a joke. But for the most part, yeah. I, I, I think that you're supposed to see everybody as this through line, like like it's you, yeah, you we're really not different. We're all right. Kind of you the can't same. quite yeah. disconnect the actor from the character. I think that what's so interesting about that is that it to me it makes it impossible not to bring Jason Schwartzman and Scarlett Johansson and Rupert Friend into the conversation. Like, yeah, um, it, it's hard not to once you're four layers deep. You might as well go. Well, let's let's just take one more layer and think yeah. about the actual real actor in in Earth. What do you call? What do you call it? <laughs> Earth, Earth Zero. Earth, yeah. <laughs> Earth Prime. Earth Prime. Jason Schwartzman play, yeah. playing this character. This um, might be the Cantina Machine talking, but like <laughs> I'm thinking, like okay, we've had some trips to the Cantina. We, <laughs> we've been doing a thematic um, martini with a twist thing tonight. That was recording. Nice, <laughs> but yeah, like so that kind of makes me think. You know, you don't actors in general. You don't really know who they are, right? right. And that's kind of what the movie is doing because it's saying like, if you're you guys are correct, which I think you are, like we're not ever seeing the actors mm -hmm. that they're playing that are in the televised presentation. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we're merging a lot of stuff and creating this character for those people, even though we don't know them really. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what like, you know, an actor is in general right. in life because we don't know them personally. Exactly. Yeah. You, you get this picture of them through the parts they play. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which gets back to me, one of the most interesting things throughout the movie that's, it's not the biggest part of the movie, but it is an important part, is the Conrad Ert part. Mm -hmm. yeah. That stuff's interesting to me because it's, you know, because it's the writer. What, what's his name? Uh, Adrian Brody's character is the director. and uh, Schubert is the director. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Schubert, I think, is kind of like, um, he's got a lot of the John Frankenheimer who did a lot of the Playhouse 90 stuff. Yeah, and probably some Sidney Lumet, maybe some more leftover Kubrick from from uh, yeah Schwartzman. But yeah, he's kind of like the classic, like lives his life on the stage. He's 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 directing literally all, all day long. On yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, Conrad Earp is like I think you know Truman Capote and Tennessee Williams. Yeah, I was thinking, I was definitely thinking Tennessee Williams for sure. And then there's a like a real brief scene, which again would have never happened in 50s television. But uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> I started to get distracted by. Are we talking like, about the ice cream sharing? Oh no, just yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the kiss, like the. Yeah. Oh the, yeah, but I mean, it starts out with sharing the same spoon, which I thought 
was very interesting because I was like, oh, this is so adorable. Like, right. did they know? Like, I got confused and thought they knew each other before. Anyway, that's a whole sideline. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I also did, want I got, that ice cream. I got distracted a few times. <laughs> just kind of like, how would this whole thing be being shown on TV in the 50s? And then I was like, you know what? None um, of it would have been shown on the TV. Let's just, let's just have a good time. <laughs> we're, we're, in, we're in a parallel universe where yes. none yes. of this is a factor. A much better 50s. A uh, much better parallel 50s yeah yes exactly no I'm, I'm all for the wishful thinking i mean again it's a very tarantino thing to do to just be like totally this didn't happen but let's just say it like it did happen because, yeah uh, let's just pretend that people are um decent human beings are free even, and, even though they're and not. yeah, yeah. i loved this... the scene with him and jason oh, that's one of my favorite scene. scenes yeah, in the whole movie oh, actually yeah, yeah. of the two of them when jason Schwartzman. well i don't to call the actor jones jones hall is the yeah yeah you're right okay it's jones hall you're right when jones hall shows up at his place because i was like i think that's their first supposed to be their first meeting right so yeah Mm -hmm. so how does he go to bring him this specific ice cream i think it might be a thing where they maybe are mutual fans of each other or at least uh jones hall is a fan of conrad Earp. Um, okay so he sort of shows so he knows he's like He's like what I would do if I went to Ewan McGregor's house. Like I'd bring him his favorite. Dinner. Yeah, he should. He should <laughs> Jones Hall, I think, shows up kind of on his best behavior, like with like probably hopes of something happening, and and then it yeah. goes as well as it could could be expected to go. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really liked. I mean, their whole thing was cool and the connection. I feel like every scene where like it's kind of similar with Scarlett Johansson and. What is the actor's name that she's playing um, in Mitch, the framing story? Mitch Campbell is the internal one. Yeah, she's the internal. Yeah, that's right. Don't don't that. don't, I don't know. Anyway, the, the black and white yeah. scene on the train where she. Oh yeah, yeah. Where the the understudy reads the the uh, letters from her producer, I guess it is. Yes. Yeah. I just think both those scenes are kind of similar in the fact that like they become really taken with like the performance of the person that they're with. I mean, mm-hmm. in a completely different way, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It's romantic between Conrad Earp and exactly. Mercedes, Hall, Merce- but... Mercedes Ford is who okay. is the actress that Scarlett Johansson is playing. Mercedes and Jones. Yeah, those I'm are only, cool names. I'm only pulling this off with the cast list open. Oh, okay. It helps to talk about it if you differentiate the uh, yeah the names the ingredients. Yeah. Also, an interesting thing about that scene with Earp and. Uh, jones hall is that like when he first does like the augie character it's mm-hmm. not quite the augie that we get in the, in the final play yeah right. exactly. good point but he's introducing a few different mannerisms and a few different things that are like going to be the germ for that character it's like it's you're seeing i love movies that actually dramatize the process of creativity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's like that's really cool that like you get that like embryonic version of a character you're getting later. Yeah, yeah, you see the evolution like in a different order, kind of. Yeah, Yeah. and 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 there's so much going on with um, you're being told things that are going to happen in the internal play before you see them, Hmm. because Mm -hmm. of the way the external play works. It's like time jumps and inception. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's, um, again, most of the time when they reference something that's happening in the internal play, it's not actually something you see. In that scene, they talk about Augie burning his hand, which is an example of something you do see. But for the well, most part... Well, that repeated for impact, right? Yeah. Like, for the most part, whenever they talk about a scene, it's actually something that you don't actually see. You're getting the story through multiple levels because you're being told it kind of from this behind the scenes part. And then you're seeing other scenes that sometimes even slightly conflict with what you thought was going to happen. Yeah. Hmm. Like uh, Schubert's wife 
played by Hong Chow. Always a delight when she shows up in something. I love her. She's the mm-hmm. best. She's so good. Yeah, she's um, great. So Schubert's wife tells Schubert that I've never had to be so careful oh, with cl- saying Closing the, right the door before. before yeah, she, she says, says yeah. close the door before, we are, before you say we are doomed. And then you yeah. see the scene later and there's not even a door involved. So they've, yeah, they've evolved yeah, yeah. the scene so much yeah. that it kind of has nothing to do with what it was at the point where they're discussing it. But it's like her, it's her idea of what should happen at the end of mm-hmm. the conversation and she does it when she leaves him she mm-hmm. closes right. the door and says goodbye after she closes the door yeah but it's just, i mean it's, so it's like a reflection of her own desire mm-hmm. kind of mm. it's just it's a very specific thing that i don't yeah. even know that, with that many examples of a movie that's done something similar where you're constantly getting these weird you're being told again it's it's pointing to the artifice it's telling you here's what's coming up in this totally weird kind of sideways way that means that when you do get to those scenes that you've kind of already had suggested they land slightly differently because you've already kind of you've pre-processed them in a way well and do we think Mm. that the scenes with the the, like the behind the scenes scenes Mm -hmm. do we think that they are happening like with Schubert, for example, mm-hmm. in his little on stage apartment thing that he's got. Yeah. He's already been doing productions of the play at that yeah, point. I so think she's at this point just it's been ongoing for a while. Yeah. So evolving, she's just yeah. giving him suggestions for future performances. But mm-hmm. like we're probably seeing, maybe we're seeing an earlier performance and she's giving a suggestion for something that they should change in a future performance. Do you That's know true. You? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I honestly have no idea. Again, the timeline is not completely rock solid in my head. I mean, I don't <laughs> think most of this matters. It's just interesting to think about. It's yeah. like, the, there's, the, the there's process so many... of of evolving a production or evolving art mm-hmm. is kind of what the movie is about yeah. overall kind of yeah while we're on that scene i i think one of the it's it's a great joke and then also kind of encapsulates everything that's going on that we're talking about is when um schubert pretends to be hitting the welterweight while the real one <laughs> is <laughs> to his left. yeah it's yeah. so weird i mean that's perfect it's, it's just, yeah. It's, yeah it's no it's like it's a it's a hilarious joke but it honestly is kind of like you can almost point to that scene as kind of like this is what is going on here yeah there's so much about pretend there's so yeah. much about like um denying what's what's right in front of you i mean there's just yeah it's, yeah. it's such a great example of something that's simultaneously kind of a dumb joke and then also all the themes of the movie are kind of whispering around just that one dumb joke when exactly. it kind of makes you think like what am i faking in my own life like 80 yeah. percent, you know like yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm going through my day doing a puppet show of my body yeah, <laughs> you know absolutely. like yeah. i'm faking my way through life most of the time <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah i mean exactly yeah i mean i think that's why the alien theme fits so well because like mm-hmm. yeah with this aliens thing, which again, it, it, I love it because you know, for my own sad autistic reasons, uh, said I love the theme of alienation. Alienation, I go at some point, <laughs> it's like connecting alienation, but alienation, you know, and like and like the whole thing about you know this. Of course, of course, it's a alien that in the world of the play behind the play, not the final play behind the play, but the. <laughs> God damn it. The, the, the deepest layer of the play, right? <laughs> yeah. The well, the one before the deepest layer of the play. The broadcast play that we're okay, watching. Okay. That we're, I mean, mm-hmm. the, within the diagenic world of that. The world where Schubert Green is real and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Where those guys are real. Okay. He's being played. We see that the alien in the 
play, the Asteroid City play is being played by Jeff Goldblum. Of course, that's, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, that, I mean, that's obviously like cheeky casting and it's like, obviously, mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> uh, he, he's a, he's been in several Anderson stuff before. And... A friend of Wes Anderson. At this yeah, point. yeah. But it's like a perfect <laughs> little bit because like, it just feels right. And, and again, that's meta, meta that's, I don't know, that's like extra meta casting. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, I don't know if everybody picks this up, but like, it's, it's another thing that's sort of telegraphed in a way that's just like, in the opening credits, just laid bare it says and jeff goldblum as the alien <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> yeah it's like, like so if you didn't know there was an alien movie you're pretty much getting at that right up front and i didn't yeah. even know there really was one either <laughs> yeah i mean i knew there was i knew there was like some sci-fi ish thing from like, the title and from some of the, right. in the trailer but i'm like oh okay this is actually oh this is like right square in my zones of interest okay but it's yeah. also obviously not just about that shit but like this movie is so kind to me and like the way what the kind of the kinds of things i'm interested in and so like mm-hmm. I, lo- I love it when a movie just like throws all that on a platter yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um because you know there is i i do believe ultimately movies about how it's about something not what it's about but like still when the what is it's about is something that's so near near dear to my heart you know mm-hmm. it's just nice to have that like invitation yeah i feel like let's just get into the um the main movie the internal asteroid the, city um, which, Conrad which is, Herb's asteroid city yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> so much less complicated and one of the most fun oh, delightful things i've ever i just love it it's, it's beautiful. So fun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, so the basic story is there's a city. Oh, not city. I mean, it is not even a town. It's, what is it? Uh, Nine, uh, population 97 or whatever they say. It's a, like, a tiny, yeah. T- yeah, a tiny, tiny little town. A village, basically. In the middle <laughs> in the middle of the desert, a very, you know, very uh, Wes Anderson-y desert. I mean, obviously Looney Tunes are a big reference here, too. Oh. Right. Yeah, 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 I didn't think Yeah, you've got, you've got the Roadrunner and... Yeah, I mean, the, the Roadrunner being an obvious one, but like, mm-hmm. just like the general... The alien design is very Looney Tunes, but... Yeah, but yeah, exactly. So like, so it's a super hyper stylized, you know, obviously, but it's like Barbie again, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, like the, the stylized artifice of it is very self-conscious and very fun. And it's like, it's this little town in the middle of the desert. It's a diner, you know, it's like a, a, a greasy spoon diner. There's like a car shop. There's a hotel. That's about it. <laughs> very simple. Yeah. Very, very sparse. And which again is like, it's supposed to be a play so plays have very limited um so i mean there's a there's a part where conrad Earp lays out here are all the important locations and it's like four or five like it's yeah he talks about the the ramp that was never finished in Mm -hmm. the opening yeah honestly my whole thought process is often like that unfinished ramp that was built <laughs> same yeah. though same we're all, we're all just one big everyone's just ramp. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> metaphor for all of our lives exactly <laughs> exactly you know what though like i just this is such an aside and we can move on quickly sure. but like it's almost like wes anderson is like meta-ing his own style of filmmaking oh, because sure, yeah. Astro- yeah. Conrad Earp's Asteroid City is the way he makes movies right yeah and the rest of the movie is just like about making a movie like that or yeah. making a play like that yeah, yeah I, I kind of think he's been doing a little bit of that since Grand Budapest Hotel was the first one where I felt like he was kind of putting in a little bit that was just kind of like you know 
this is just what I like to do, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah, but he's kind of like making fun of himself, like right, right. like jovially. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the, this guy is creating like a very particular thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so we're introduced to this what fa- a family? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've got uh, three daughters, a son, and a father. They're like triplets, right? Are they triplets? Yeah, they must be triplets. Maybe the best triplets. Yeah, (laughs) I love these girls rule. I love them I would hang out with them, honestly. Totally. So it's like your, I mean, it's a classic movie, like the the town that you'd get stuck in the middle of in some other movie. Yeah. And they're in town for the sun. Yeah. Most of the characters are in town for the junior stargazer convention. Yes. Although there's so much going on and one could argue too much, but (laughs) there's the cowboys that just miss their bus. Yeah. Um, There's various parents. There's scientists that were already there. Yeah. And also just the crazy coincidence of Augie, Augie's car like crapping out in the town that he was already supposed to be in like that's so interesting. yeah <laughs> like he was already taking his son there and he just I mean, like, was like oh my car died yeah. here i feel like that kind of that happens on like you you're, you're you stop and you then get you realize, somewhere and then yeah, you realize okay. like now i'm stuck here yeah yeah i also want strawberry milk after this now oh man but yeah lots of lots of people convening um in this very tiny desert town that um is really only kind of a it's like, it's basically like a tourist attraction well it's, it's the, like uh, a um, what do you call that like a it's not really a town it's built around the fact that the it, asteroid is right. there yeah, yeah. <laughs> which i mean everybody's been to those kind of roadside you, you take an exit yeah and you drive a little bit more than you plan to and you're like oh okay here's the place where there's the crater or whatever the big yeah. of yarn yeah. that sort of thing <laughs> exactly yeah, which is, I, I listen i remember listening to uh to your episode alex on on euphoria yeah and uh, and you guys talking about desert movies and how oh yeah 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 like i know i know you're a fan of desert movies oh, fucking yeah. love the desert Man, and it's I funny, think. like I don't know that I'd put that much thought into it, but it is a fascinating thing that it's it's almost a, a subgenre with its own yeah. rules. And uh, I think like Paris, Texas, maybe jumps out. That, that's not a one that bit. I've seen. I've seen Wes Anderson mention that maybe like once or twice, yeah, just in my research. But it's not one that um, that comes up over and over. But I, I think mean, it's in like... terms of the mystical kind of right. For the most part, everybody is supposed to be real people, but there's just a sort of weird mysticism in the air. Yeah. They're like removed from reality. Mm-hmm. Things can yeah. happen there that can't happen anywhere else. It's like exactly. X-Files, right? There's like small yeah. towns usually that are the focal focal point right, of exactly. the episode because nobody's paying attention to what's happening there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean that I mean that's literally why they have secret military bases out in the deserts mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. the, iso- the isolation is inherently something that creates an effect on you just like physically being there and standing in the middle you know i mean you, i'm sure you've been to a desert before mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and you know it's like it's that feeling of eternity almost like it's going mm-hmm. off into forever and like you're just in the middle you're just kind of faced with your own insignificance but also you're weirdly connected to it a part of it yeah and it's it sort of pauses reality for a moment because it doesn't doesn't feel like it's on the same clock as like a city exactly well and desert is like the closest you can get to space if you don't have a million dollars right like you're just in the middle of absolutely nowhere and yeah. probably why a lot of sci-fi things are kind of related to westerns. Right. Oh, exactly. I mean, like 50s monster movies and stuff, that's where they would oh, go yeah. to mm-hmm. film. Like they would they would film in the desert because 
it was isolated. They could do big effects. If they needed to have a shot that looked like it was supposed to be on Mars or whatever, that was the most obvious place to it. do it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's that eternal connection between sci-fi and the desert, but but so interesting to see. Again, not, not to go right back into the world's reaction to Wes Anderson, but it's like if one of the big things is um, he's always doing the same thing, it's like, who really had that he was going to make a sci-fi Western on their bingo card? Like, like <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also the weird timeliness of it. You know, aliens are in the news a little bit and things like that, hmm. which may or may not be conscious on his part. But it's just like funny that it is a, in a weird way, a very zeitgeisty movie without necessarily meaning to be, which is always the best way. Right. The period, the period, too. I mean, it's like, yeah. It's the 50s, you know, the, I mean, that was like the period of sci-fi and I mean, obviously the actual waves of UFO sightings and of course movies and mm-hmm. and also it ties in with the atomic shit and like it's all weirdly connected in a, in a kind of weird way that you can't really put your finger on. But it's like I love stuff that touches on that without outlining it, you know, like this is why this means you know, it's just like this nice, perfect encapsulation of a bunch of different threads of American psyche yeah americanisms american mm-hmm. culture yeah the flag on the moon <laughs> yeah exactly i feel like it was a probably a time just based on like x-files lore and stuff yeah. because i'm a huge x-files person but like yeah the vibe of being starting to question your government but also being like really patriotic yeah exactly like there's a bit of a, a combination of those elements here too yeah because people hadn't completely got to the point where like oh fuck the government like the, like we're to the point where people don't believe anything the government says like even when the government people from the government actually come out and say aliens are real people don't believe it which is hilarious <laughs> now yeah I mean, yeah you have, you have the government very clearly represented here and it is kind of a funny like mix of like yeah they're they're sort of the shadow government but it's a shadow government right out front for everybody to see Mm -hmm. which does feel very atomic age 50 yeah there's definitely a funny like dichotomy there well it (laughs) it leaves the realm of reality very fast yeah you see an atom bomb right away yeah And that's kind of your gateway to, okay, that happened. But then as soon as you start seeing the reason everybody's collected here, it's because you've got these smart kids that are all, but kind of doing science fair projects. Yeah. Like they have, they have ray guns. Exactly. We're not bridging the gap to aliens. Like we're just right out of the gate. Like um, we can imprint images on the moon. (laughs) Yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. Every single science experiment is simultaneously kind of this 50s fantasy of you know like kind of like the world's fair version of the future yeah um jetpacks yeah very literal jetpacks and ray guns and then these other concepts that again it's like right away you're like okay so this is the movie where kids are inventing ray guns how amazing though was it when the parents were like shooting the discs with the ray guns while drinking like yes oh yeah (laughs) they just did not care they were just like hi-fi skeet shooting yeah yeah There's such a great thing happening with just beverages in this movie. Yes. <laughs> like, if you just watch what's going on with people's drinks, that alone. There's a canteen machine? Yeah, yeah. it's so funny. Right? <laughs> like, Steve Carell's character, who's the um, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the landowner here, who's kind of, his, his whole angle. Um, there's, again, arguably too much going on, but I do love a movie <laughs> where there's a billion characters, but you can pick any character and kind of go... So this is what this character's through line is. Yeah, you can and, watch the entire movie yeah. once through and just watch one person. Right. And, and so his his whole thing is he's just here to make money off of this thing. And he's kind of looking for little, like, tiny get-rich schemes wherever he can. 
and he's got like the real estate. Yeah, he's, he's he's selling little like plots of land of just like what he probably thought was somewhat useless desert, but in the yeah. grand scheme was probably actually a good investment. But he has this army of vending machines, and there's a point where the parents find out that there's an alcohol <laughs> vending machine. Yeah, and, and if you, and if you if you track that moment, that's the moment where all the parents start acting differently. <laughs> John oh. pointed that out to me on yeah. the second watch, and I was like, "Yeah, if you watch it from the moment where like somebody walks up in a scene and they all look over and the person has a drink and they're like, there's a cantina machine,' yeah. <laughs> and then every other scene with the adults has more and more." martini glasses yeah. in it every all, scene all, every side character adult is super drunk <laughs> from that point on. and, and yeah. that's where you get people that are just wildly shooting ray guns into the sky like all, yeah all that ray gun like, scene was the top yeah tier. everything like basically yeah. Liv driver and hope davis and um steven park i think is his name like those, yeah. those the parents that are always kind of like off together they basically are just like on a downward spiral to to chaos as soon as they find yeah. out that there's a uh, drink machine i mean it's like first of all they're having to endure yeah this really intellectual over-the-top situation then they're in quarantine yeah and they're probably like questioning their entire life because they're like their kids are already smarter than them you right. know yeah <laughs> There's a huge step where the parents are all just sort of like, my kid has already surpassed me. So yeah, I'm so kind what's of the just, point? Yeah, Coasting I'm, to I'm death. sort of winding out the clock at this point. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of funny stuff. In that. At, at one point, you can see that Tom Hanks has five glasses, yeah. I think, in his hands. He's just, it's he's the just, ray gun scene. Yeah, he's, he's just like balancing five glasses. You can imagine they just kept being like, can you hold one more? And he's like, I think I can. <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, to like get back in the movie's inherent Americanness is like he's always carrying around a gun. Yeah, yeah. It's like perfect. It's like he never uses it. I don't think, but uh, it's just like always there. It's just like a nice character detail. Right. All the all the sort of like pre security alert America, where everybody's just sort of like armed and ready. Yeah, it is very just kind of like nakedly on display, where like like absolute chaos could break out at any point and does at one point. Yeah. The whole, th- also the scientists are kind of interesting. Like we don't really get as much mm. we get the ones that are stationed at the uh, the place near the asteroid. I mean, like the mm-hmm. total Swinton, total Swinton crew. Yeah, another example. Like like she is so so funny to me in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and and you're just kind of getting these little glimpses, and I like I love it. We've we've kind of talked a little bit about like it would be nice. It's not that I want to change what he's doing in the past, but it would be nice to have him knuckle down on just like a character study at this point. Yeah. Because this is a movie where you've got 50 characters that are all pretty rich. Yeah. Like all of them, you can kind of go like, I would actually follow this guy around for a while. Yeah. And Tilda Swinton is one of those always, always delightful. But I mean, you've got, you've got people that show up for basically seconds. Yeah. Pretty big actors. It's, who a, show it's up a stacked very cast. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's the, the most stacked cast. It's unbelievable. I feel like Wes Anderson though, just like collects people, right? Because he yeah. works with somebody and he's like, Oh, you're cool. And then, yeah. Which is great. Now I feel like he's got so many people in his pocket that he wants to use for everything. Yeah, apparently Margot Robbie asked to be in it because like she loved. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think he's literally got. Um, again, it's a very particular thing where like you've got you know an email incoming from Willem Dafoe that's like, um, hey, I like your style, I like the cut of your jib. Yeah, Maybe we should do something, and like you're like again, if any if any normal person knew that Willem Dafoe wanted to um, come do stuff for you, you'd be like, 
I'm gonna find a way, even yeah. even, <laughs> even if I don't have a part for you, I'm gonna make a part for you. Exactly. And exactly. I think I think maybe that's that's kind of um, what's been going on with these like absolutely outsized cast on the last couple movies. Yeah, is that. Who could blame somebody for being like, yeah, and all, and also this guy wants to come hang out, like, yeah, hell yeah, let's put them in there. But that's got to be like the best compliment paid to a director is that actors actively love and want to keep working with you and do it. Yeah, totally. But then he's like got too many people to fit in one movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I was just saying, like it's it's crazy. Like you always hear people say, like it's almost like a famous thing that people would say, "Oh, I love that director. I would I'd show up just to be an extra." Yeah, um, he's the first guy I've ever seen literally put it to the test. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> Bob, Bob Balaban in this movie is an extra. Like, <laughs> yeah, true. Bob Balaban's kind of playing like a funny shadow government guy who's kind of yeah, like watching about people that. in the from the corner sometimes. He doesn't even have a line, right? I think he has one line. That's right. Fisher Stevens is in it for a second. Fisher Stevens just barely. And, and this is the second time Fisher Stevens has shown. He's in um, French Dispatch just barely, too. But the, yeah. The whole, like, writing staff in French Dispatch is star-studded. And they kind of yeah. don't really have anything. They're kind of just standing there. Elizabeth Moss has, like, one line in that movie. Yeah. And you're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but I kind of like that. I, I don't mind. Yeah, about, yeah. I, I like it's one of those things where it's like it's got its pros and cons. Like I kind of love how overblown it is in this particular movie. Like it's just yeah, it's just spiraling out of control. How much is going on? And, and there's something kind of lovable about that. Yeah, but then you're also just kind of like, um, man, can we spend more than three seconds with that character? Because they seem fun. Yeah, yeah, but then he'd have to go beyond two hours, and I really respect that yeah. he cut this movie to one. 45 because yeah, you movies that that are for, two hours for as, deep yeah. as we've been going on this it's a it's not even a two-hour movie so digging into bob Balaban for just a second like so you've got kind of the uh close encounters of the third kind connection there. yeah yeah i was thinking um so there's a book that they put out that i've got here called do not detonate without presidential approval which is written on the bomb you see on the train in the opening credits. Yeah. Which the opening credits are a reference to um, Bad Day at Blackrock. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that movie. That's a great, great movie. I don't think I've seen it, but... It's a really cool movie um, that's worthwhile. It's uh, Spencer Tracy. Again, it's a desert movie. Spencer Tracy goes out to the desert to, like, investigate a murder, and um, he's got, like, secret kung fu powers. It's fantastic. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, <it's- laughs> And it opens with a very similar um, train coming into a desert town. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, like, Wes Anderson if he bought a train because (laughs) I feel like he just keeps compiling, like, things to use in other movies. Like, he has the train in Darjeeling Limited. Yeah, yeah. Is this just the same train? He just, like, has, like, a... You know, a field somewhere where he yeah. just got all of his like props. A, like a, a huge warehouse. Yeah, and he's got like boats and trains. Because <laughs> yeah. that's really the only thing that seems expensive to me is just like all of the sets and the, yeah. the props and the trains yeah. <laughs> that are in his movie. Yeah. Well, I can't. I, I can't imagine him coming home from the groceries without a big bag with a big giant baguette stinks. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah. a baguette person for yeah. sure. Yeah. So all of this is under the umbrella of yeah, just the uh, the very heavy like referenceometer that Wes Anderson has going in this movie. And there's a book that you can buy. Do not detonate without presidential approval. That is basically like a bunch of essays about movies that inspired uh, that inspired Asteroid City. Oh, really? 
And it's very abstract because some of them are new essays. Some of them are like old, like there's like an old Pauline Kael review. Oh, okay. There's like a new story about the recording of one of those Playhouse 90 episodes. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of feeds into the framing device. Okay. Was this a s- officially sanctioned? Like they were like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's like a West, there's a new interview with Wes Anderson at the beginning. Oh, cool. But it's, it's kind of abstract because one of Wes Anderson's rules for it was that he didn't want people in the essays to talk about the direct connections to yeah. Asteroid City. They just wanted them to talk about the movies. Yeah, but that's awesome. I love that approach. Like, that's yeah, so yeah. Cool. So it's really interesting. And, and you kind of get, um, I mean, again, it's like you can see the things that feed into the movie without it being like, obviously, like, like Mitch Campbell's got like a little bit of like Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, yeah. But like, he doesn't want it to be like, she's just it's Marilyn not, yeah. Monroe. It's, it's just not like, like one for one. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's, exactly. There's just there's a there's a whole ocean of things kind of swimming around in that. There's not unfortunately an essay about Mars attacks in the book. I would oh, no, I no. would be delighted if that was included. But yeah, um, but they do include part of Bob Balaban's original diary, which is uh, he wrote he put a, he published a whole book. Oh yeah, that I think the original title was Spielberg Truffaut and Me. Oh yeah, I remember I remember hearing about that book. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe it has a different title title on like the paperback reprint or something but he kept a diary while he was filming close encounters of the third kind um that was mostly kind of about what him and francois truffaut were up to like yeah after hours kind of like like yeah or like during their downtime on set just a lot of behind the scenes stuff Yeah. yeah and so i think for sure that fed into this in terms of like why is bob Balaban even there in addition to just being he's part of the wes anderson repertoire it's this connection to that close encounters thing yeah and one thing I thought was really interesting in that book is that you get all the expected like cinephile, like nerdy references. Like, yeah, um, there's a lot of desert noir in there. Like, oh, um, yeah. Touch of evil, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stuff, stuff like that. Um, I mean, again, Bad Day at Blackrock is in there. They talk a Wes Anderson talks a lot about the Misfits, um, which the Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, Monroe made movie. with Arthur Miller and John Houston. Yeah. Like literally right before she died. Believe it or not, that's where the band got its name was from that movie. Oh, is that true? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. We just watched that movie. It's so good. Oh, wow. I loved it. Yeah. It's a great movie and 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 a lot of desert and it's not necessary. Again, it's not one-to-one. It's not like you're just like, oh, here's where he got this piece. But it's an atomic age desert mm-hmm. movie with like a lot of people just kind of stumbling around in the desert and you can kind of feel, uh, and there's so much, it's more the behind the scenes stuff. Really. I mean, there's, there's some Arthur Miller and um, Conrad Earp. Yeah, for sure. And there's definitely some Errol Monroe and Mitch Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> you get these really heady things like sounding pretentious, like I am now, like with um, like he's got, the standard European influences. Like he kind of talks about making a Western from a European viewpoint, which I Mm -hmm. think he tags Paris, Texas for that. Like, yeah, for sure. Like the Vim vendors version of what an American desert looks like. So, so lots of European stuff, lots of Indian stuff. I mean, I think obviously since Darjeeling limited, he always kind of goes back to like, um, Sajayit Ray films, like the memory game that the kids play in this is like directly lifted from an Indian film. Oh, that's cool. So you get all this like heady cinephile stuff, but then all the sci-fi stuff, he goes back to your like bread and butter um, Amblin stuff. Like, like it's, it's all close encounters, ET. Um, and then maybe a little bit of like mainstream fifties stuff like day, the earth stirred still. 
yeah. something kind of fascinating about that to me that it's like it's like the uh, the emotional stuff he's he's pulling from like the deepest darkest points of cinema you know world cinema everywhere he can pull from but then he's also got this piece of it that's just like I also like Star Wars. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> which I love. I, th- I think it's yeah. such a great. I, I think that's what makes it kind of beautiful. Is 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 that ultimately it's also got like a like a dumb fun alien in it. Yeah, like spoiler alert: the movie ends with a freaking dancing roadrunner. I mean, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's the, there's like a low. Yeah, lowbrow thing. There's some lowbrow in there with yeah. the highbrow. Yes, for sure, for sure. I mean, the movies are the quintessential like art form that fuses those two things together i think yeah not uh, that not that close encounters is is lowbrow but like there, no. there's there's a big yeah. difference between like um, yeah i watched this obscure indian film and lifted a scene out of it for the exactly. five people that would appreciate that yeah. and referencing close encounters which literally everybody has seen yeah there's like lots of obvious like little nods to other alien stuff yeah like uh, you pointed out the slid song for mars attacks as you said yeah yeah we, we messaged about mars attack i think i think most people have kind of grabbed onto that by now yeah which is like the biggest broadest thing that you could imagine wes anderson would kind of like tap and honestly it brings me the most joy in the world that he would take the the, i mean it has to be there's no way it's not a reference yeah it's it's such a specific song and it's it's not just like another song from the soundtrack it's the song from the mars attack soundtrack yeah exactly he he like plays the song in the background yeah it's it's just a needle drop yeah there's a mars attacks there's a song in mars attacks Mm -hmm. that is like the song that indian love called by slim whitman is yeah the song the that the, the, the grandma's obsessed with, and it turns out that it explodes aliens. Yeah. yeah. Well, also the thing is like with with Mars Attacks. I mean, that specific movie is also like a, a '50s yeah. movie, throwback movie. That's like, and and that's the thing is we we rewatched Mars Attacks. Um, for this because I was like, I'm just curious. Like the fact that he nodded to it makes me want to watch it again. And I've always, Oh, I love Mars Attacks. Yeah. I, yeah I've always like, I, I think again, Tim Burton is another one where it's just like people have yeah. different points where they jumped on or off. Yeah. With well, that one, there's like definitely more like clear jumping off points for most people. Yeah. Like a lot of, people, <laughs> a lot of people, Mars attacks is the movie that ended Tim Burton for them. And well, it's wrong about that. They're totally wrong. They're dead wrong. Yeah. You were right that he was about to suck. You just didn't put the get the timing quite right. Like the next movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was dangerously close to Planet of the Apes at that point. I think oh, he yeah, had, yeah. I think he yeah. still had Sleepy Hollow, which I think is like the, the transitional yeah. one. Like it's like yeah. kind of got some genius to it, but it's kind of like you can start to see the... Um, yeah. You start to pull his punches a bit. Yeah. But everyone yeah. has their own... Yeah. Every, everybody's it's got their fine. own thing. It's just, but... But Mars Attacks is a super divisive movie and and not something that you would expect um, Wes Anderson to call out to. And it just makes me happy. And, and again, we rewatched it and I really think there's more DNA in this than I ever expected. I mean, Mars Attacks is a 50s style like parody. It's yeah. got the biggest cast you've ever heard of in your entire yep. life. A lot of it takes place in the desert. Yeah, it's 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 literally like an A-list cast stumbling around the desert being goofballs. Um I mean it's 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 not a million miles away. No, ex- exactly. It's just that Asteroid City is kind of taking the art house route whereas Mars Attacks was kind of considered this 
failure of a blockbuster. Yeah. But God, I, I love Mars Attacks. <laughs> oh God, it's the best. Uh, if anybody's wondering why I haven't done an episode on it before, uh, it's because I did an episode about it on another podcast. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they invited me to come on and talk about it. So, but yeah, uh, exactly. And I, I again, I, I do love that. All those little things, all that artsy shit, but also, you know, some just right. fun candy. It feels a little like validation to have, to yeah. have like a, totally, like, a totally. like a worldly guy, like Wes Anderson and be like you know what let's let's uh let's give up a little bit for mars attacks yeah because it rules considering the uh podcast we haven't really like fully gotten to the alien at the center of this oh yes 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 what are your thoughts on on the alien as a as an alien buff i loved the alien in this he's like hilarious and like uh i liked that he was animated with stop motion he had that kind Mm -hmm. of like old school kind of but it was like really smooth so it was kind of like Mm -hmm. So it looked, I don't know, it just looked really cool. And it was also just really funny. I just like that he's like clearly a, a, an anxiety ridden, shy alien. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a Wes Anderson character from another planet. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I loved about it. Of course, that's what that alien would be like in, in this universe. And yeah, he just comes down out of that little green spaceship and. Uh, <laughs> Which is like such a cool looking little spaceship. I really just yeah. Liked, it was just very minimal but cool. I loved it. It was exactly what the movie needed for what it was doing, and uh, I, I just I just loved it. It was just a great way to get that vibe in there without, but not going too like silly either. It, like it looks mm-hmm. interest. It looks interesting and alien enough to work, and it's also it's also cartoony enough to work too. So I, I like that it has that kind of combination of uh, elements of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always love when movies or anything comes up with kind of a slightly different version of what an alien is than what you've seen before and i feel like this movie definitely did that because it's like not just the way the way that it looks physically but just mentally (laughs) you know the way that it acts and responds to them and stuff it's like you kind of at this point have it's like vampires or something there's like so much lore to it and like established this is how an alien is kind of that you're always fighting that i think yeah so like obviously the spaceship and stuff had a similar thing where it just zipped across the sky but then when it came out and it was like like you said anxiety riddled (laughs) just like oh and it's just big eyes and comical (laughs) movements and stuff it's like this is good this is a new thing that i don't know that i've seen exactly yeah yeah i I really liked that uh like it's like almost as if the alien was like uh you know how like there's always somebody picked to do the job but they don't want to do it like it's that kind of thing he looks like he doesn't really does not want to be doing this particular task he's like oh god are there people here now oh yeah, they're kind of like workmanlike. Yeah. Like there's there's something kind of like perfunctory about it. Like it's just mm-hmm. kind of like today's the day that I gotta go grab that. It's and... like an alien janitor that just goes from planet to planet right. like picking up. And it, yeah, and the fact that in the, in exactly. the, in the grand scale of things, all it's doing is grabbing it and inventorying it and returning yeah. it, which yeah. is like clearly yeah. part of some very like um a tedious job. Yeah, just like has. a like a like a bookkeeping type <laughs> yeah. job that that they've got going on. Um, also, inventorying anything is like so Wes Anderson. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, it's just the OCD cinematic universe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's such a um, going back to earlier with just like the idea of all Wes Anderson's movies being kind of the same. It's such a specific comic beat that I think really has its own energy which I think regardless of the fact that yeah you can't just throw an alien into like a movie about like brothers traveling India yeah 
<laughs> even just the uh, the wavelength of it, you kind of get the tease with like the the Roadrunner. Um, yeah, like you get a little bit of like the sort of zany animation vibe. Yeah. But, um, there's something so interesting. Like again, I saw it when it first came out, and then I saw it one other time in theaters. And the first time I was with everyone else, where none of us really knew. I mean, it's very interesting how they marketed it because the trailer kind of straight up says there's an alien. But at the same time, I think everybody was kind of like... It's a Wes Anderson movie, there won't really be any. Yeah, I think to some degree, everyone was kind of like, what type of sci-fi is this going to be? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. There was a lot of speculation. Like, I remember people were wondering if, um, because some of the more big names weren't in the trailer, like Brian Cranston and Margot Robbie, people were wondering, oh, maybe they're not showing the aliens. Like, all the big actors are playing aliens. Mm. But still, e- even with all that speculation, like when that moment starts to happen, it's such a distinct, like it, it's just a great theater moment to see it with the crowd. Yeah. And the second time I was able to kind of anticipate it and sort of like, you know, actually be kind of aware of the crowd and kind of like, how are they going to take this when this happens? Because it's a huge uh, shift and it's just a crazy, I mean, it's just something you don't come across very often. Just the energy of that scene is just very like, oh, okay, we're full on going to this. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's such a choice and it gets so cartoony. And, and then you don't know how that's going to affect the movie. And it ends up being something of a tangential thing. <laughs> yeah. Like it's yeah. really just there to generate activity among the people that are stuck there. It's not really, you know, no nobody's really doing anything plot wise that involves like so now what do we do about this alien it's just purely reactionary it's well just... and it's like the device of how do we trap people somewhere yeah it's like trapping people in an elevator together like that's what it accomplishes kind of yeah yeah it's interesting because like you mentioned that like the people trapped together because it's like I, I i really hesitate to be like well this is wes anderson's covid moment <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's gotta be kind of right i mean yeah, yeah inspired by that probably yeah that's true yeah there's Something to be said for everything from now on that has any kind of quarantine type. Yeah. And everybody's going to be like COVID, but the timing on this is too, I mean, they, they were still shooting this with masks, I think. So yeah, there's no way that it wasn't in the ether to some degree. Well, in that way, even that they interact like with Augie and I can't remember Scarlett Johansson's character's name. Mitch Campbell. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) They say it 400 (laughs) times. I should remember. Yeah. (laughs) My favorite jokes in the movie is that every time she, but there's there's like a flurry of voices at all, yeah. And, and there's always one guy at the end. It's a, it's a very Simpsons joke. Like, like yeah. Campbell, Mitch Campbell. And then there's like a, a final voice that's like Mitch Campbell, just like a, <laughs> whispering after everyone else. <laughs> but yeah, like the way that they look at each other from their own like quarantined boxes of the little cabins across at each other. Right. Yeah. That has kind of a COVID feel too, because it's yeah, like we're absolutely. trapped in these little apartments, like but we can't quite like access each other. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I liked to, I liked to like the thing between Augie and uh, Mitch Campbell. Mitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, just listening to the way people laugh at something that's that out there is, is a real pleasure to me. Just <laughs> like, like people didn't laugh at first because the initial reaction is just like, what is going on? Yeah. And by the time, um, you get kind of that, even though it's such a silly thing, you kind of get that um, comic relief thing where, where like, uh, when he poses for the picture mm. and when, when Schwartzman just says, um, the uh, alien took the asteroid. Yeah. Uh, like, huge laughs in the theater because yeah. everybody's, like, allowing themselves to to be on this ride. 
Yeah. It's, and I mean, it's a ride or die moment. Like it's like, there's some people, I don't know of anyone that had this reaction, but it's the type of moment that somebody might be like, no, I'm out. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, I, I feel like the movie does do at least inadequate enough to like, to get you to that point because we're starting to get, mm-hmm. you know, we're starting to get there with like weird science inventions and stuff. And then, right, right, right. That's a good point. It's also kind of like, uh, interesting how the people have, such a non-reaction to it. Yeah. And I feel like that just kind of happened with everybody with the the, pa- the papers, declassified stuff that came out. Exactly. Everybody was just like, all right, just some more random chaos. Cool. Like, exactly. Back to exactly. our desks to do our data entry jobs. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love how like within like uh, a day of the, of the news getting out, it's just like, there's just a whole carnival there. There's t-shirts. There's everything. Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah, that's very... Cashing um, in on it right away. Yeah. Just to keep rattling off old movies that Wes Anderson likes. Uh, that's a lot like Ace in the Hole. You know that movie with... Um, no, I don't, actually. It's great. It's kind of like a satiric thing where there's a guy uh, caught in a mine. And um, Kirk Douglas plays a reporter who's kind of turning it into a story. And he's kind of extends it. Like... Oh, okay, okay. He kind of milks it for everything it's worth. And it's it's a it does the exact same thing like uh, um, everybody shows up carnival style for this like trauma that's ongoing and um, the look of the carnival is is very similar. Yeah, well, I, I also just love how uh, was it Jeffrey Wright's character is always like the way he like, his general is like just so he's like zanier than he seems like he's like a little yeah they're trying to classify everything and then they unclassify it and it's like yeah absolutely it's really it's really my comedically that's my favorite stuff is the Jeffrey Wright stuff um, he's so good yeah he he in French Dispatch he like blew my mind yeah I, I always liked Jeffrey Wright but. I kind of had him pegged as a pretty serious guy. And I feel like he's always had this like underlying quirkiness to the way he delivers stuff though. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it now, but I don't, I don't think I totally picked up on his whole thing until, until that. And it's just one of those people where the second he was in a Wes Anderson movie, it just felt so natural that you can tell that he's going to be in like as many as (laughs) they can pull off now. Yeah. Uh, He just, he's so good at that fast talking, yeah, he's just so interesting. Like, like this this character that he plays is like completely comedic, but the way that he kind of plays with the fact that it's this kind of like big bristling general guy who clearly has this weird sensitivity, like like when he does his speech, and he clearly yeah. put a lot of mm. thought into this, and it's it's played as a joke, but he just puts so much weird humanity into this guy mm-hmm. who's a total cartoon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. And and my favorite beat, really my favorite stretch, again, just comedically in the movie, is when Ricky Cho uh, leaks the story to his school newspaper, which yeah. is just such a, again, a way of treating, I, the comedy of treating this alien sighting in such a small way. Like, we immediately spend time on a school newspaper leak instead of, like, something bigger. It just has such an interesting comedic value to me uh like ricky calling his uh his editor <laughs> like, yeah. in, like the middle of the night, uh and making sure they break this story and then and then the fantastic moment of um of jeffrey wright doing the uh this just in for the president he's furious thanks a lot ricky <laughs> <laughs> yeah every scene that cuts to to that room where they're kind of conferring together is 
so good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I love I love the production design of that. It just looks so cool. Uh -huh. Like the, the big window behind them, this asteroid thing, and the uh, crater in the background, and like mm -hmm. the fences yeah. and stuff. And the the uh, the little signal thing. Like, what does that do? I don't know. It's just. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say, like, the way, I don't know, that's also feels like kind of a Wes Anderson thing is, like, characters just admitting to, like, being ignorant about something, like, yeah, there's yeah. just a little bit of, like, I don't know, like, about his characters, like, I don't understand myself or my life or the way the world works or the scientific <laughs> thing I'm studying, yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, that was always what was so funny about Ghostbusters to me that has an obvious kind of through line to Wes Anderson was just that they have all this really, like, scientific equipment, but I mean, that's the whole joke of Venkman is that he's carrying around all the stuff that he doesn't really understand. And yeah. <laughs> all those bits are always really funny to me. Like the, uh, are you sure you're using that thing correctly? <laughs> I, I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, also like the, what this leads us also into is the, the, uh, the little moment with the song, which was like one of the absolute favorite moments of the movie. Yes, I, yeah. I cackled with glee when I saw that. Oh yeah. The, I wrote down, is he friend or foe or other? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's that's the other moment that's was so wonderful to experience with a group of people. Again, one time being with them, experiencing it is kind of like a what's happening moment. And then the second time knowing it was coming and just sort of seeing how it landed. Because that's another thing where it's just completely breaking the, I mean, it literally breaks the fourth wall because it becomes this kind of like direct music video for a second. Yeah. And just just the roller coaster of that is is wild. Like, yeah. It's two completely different songs. The way it kind of just like completely yeah. breaks into the movie is yeah. out of control. <laughs> the kid, the escalation of it too. Like the kid is like, oh, I made a flying saucer out of like my mac and cheese carton or whatever he says. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next kid is like, I wrote a song about him. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, yes. and the whole band is like already ready. And yeah. They're like in the wings waiting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love that. Like uh, Maya Hawk's kind of like trying to keep things on track, but then the band yeah. shows up and it's just like, well, we heard, we heard Dwight had a little song written so yeah yeah and like oh yeah did you know it was written by jarvis cocker of yeah pulp, of pulp uh that's kind of insane we'll come back to jarvis cocker in just a second <laughs> oh god it's such a delightful little moment i know i did like that little little tiny bromance thing i mean it's very not even really elaborated upon but it's just like you can see the cowboy and uh mm -hmm. the, the teacher, teacher. maya hawk's yep. uh, teacher character is uh you know that they have like some little little thing going on that's kind of cute yeah if you, if you cut all the stuff that was just those two having a little thing it's probably less than a minute yeah but it's, it still kind of gets across yeah it's great and at the meta level of the play i mean because there, there's like two big alien scenes and then there's not counting the jeff goldblum thing where <laughs> that is so funny because it's like that's perfect he's supposed to be playing the alien right right yeah. <laughs> that is so weird and funny yeah and they're like this little stop motion I, character played by Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what the actual like. I, I'm sure that they modeled it after him because as soon as you know, you're like, of course. It's, and it has it's kind so of the, the lanky limbs, the yeah. way that yeah. it moves. Yeah, it kind of has a, a vibe for sure. Well, I'm thinking like because like in the in the again going back to the meta level thing that we we talked about mm -hmm. <laughs> previously, uh, like. <laughs> The actual play, like the actual performance of the play Asteroid City can't possibly look like what the movie part looks like, diegetically. Right. Yeah. So we're like almost, we're almost seeing when we're seeing the actual play 
story of the play play out it's almost like what the writer would have in his head or whatever yeah yeah exactly. or like, i guess like they fantasy of what it could be because yeah. of the television production though they could have they could be trying to say that they went and filmed that separately and they're in, inserting it right but yeah i get what you're saying that like if, yeah. if we're actually just watching it as a play then we, then it can't look like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, th- I think it is almost a theoretical yeah yeah um i just i just think of that especially with like Goldblum's character because it's like obviously he's not stop motion so it's gotta be like uh if they were doing that literally as how this play would appear i don't know mm-hmm. that's a good point yeah because I, I just thought it was very um like an abstract concept that was just kind of for a joke but yeah you're right it's yeah maybe more to it than that one thing i was gonna say like about his dialogue wes harrison's like yeah. what he wrote for the dialogue yeah. in this movie is i found one like kind of thing interesting that i'm not sure that he's done so much in his other movies which is like the repetitive wording like a couple things i wrote down like first i'll do my speech first mm-hmm. like the kind of repeating the word first yeah yeah and he said like sometimes i wonder i if i wish i should have and it's like whoa <laughs> what are you doing there <laughs> right. it's really interesting which i think is what i think you seem to be these are like some of the lines i wrote down oh yeah it's Ooh. just repeated throughout the movie it's like where People yeah. say the same words in two different places in the same sentence. It's clearly a very intentional choice to do that. I don't know if it means anything, but I just noticed it. Yeah. And don't know that I've noticed that in his other movies before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that one line that yeah that, that Tilda Swinton does is is very like kind of it grabs you because it's like a labyrinthine kind of way to say mm-hmm. what she's saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's another one where it's just like I kind of would I'd be I'd happily just go spend some time with her just the character yeah yeah. the fact that she's like a pretty good scientist working with like these kid geniuses that she's very aware of the fact that they're all kind of like operating on a little bit of a higher level than she is Mm -hmm. yeah just an interesting thing to play with that she's like a genius but like not the biggest genius in the room yeah it's just fun to uh to watch the way she she works that Mm -hmm. she also has like she has kind of like a really interesting kind of thing with augie's son yeah his son Uh uh-huh yeah yeah, it was like, I kept wondering if it was going to get weird. And then <laughs> yeah. it, didn't, it didn't quite go there. I, I, but think, it was it, like, I think it was wholesome. I, yeah, I think it probably was too. But I Well, they, had, they had Timothy Chalamet and Francis McDormand. And you know, that's probably why yeah, <laughs> I was of, bracing for that. Head. Yeah, uh, he, does, okay. he does like the European um, age mismatches sometimes. Oh, so, yeah. Well, it's Europe, you know. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's the French dispatch, not the American dispatch. <laughs> I had another note about this line where when Augie's out on the fire escape talking to Margot, is it Robbie oh, or Robbie? I think it's Robbie. Robbie, yeah. Margot Robbie. When he's out on the fire escape talking to her, he says, the wife who played my actress. Right, right. That was really, I, I like sent me on a whole spiral of thought. I was like, what is he saying? Yeah. What does he mean by it? The wife who played my actress. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she and she's the wife. She was the actress who played. It was. The, it should be the actress she's, who played she's my the wife. She's the actress who played his wife. But yeah, but he says the yeah, wife who played my actress. Yeah, I think it's just kind of like a a fun slip up to put in there, but it also yeah very much kind of underlines all of the the, uh, layers. the meta nonsense that we unpacked for like forty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly, and it, it's like I don't think it means anything that's like another layer of confusion it's almost just like because it is so confusing he mm-hmm. like says it wrong yeah you know, because yeah. it's 
gotten so multi-layered. That's a, that's a fascinating little piece too, because we already talked about it a little bit, just, but just the way the way that the movie so frequently references scenes in kind of a sideways way. Yeah. Like you kind of are seeing the scene that they're talking about mm. because they're telling you about it, but it was a scene that was cut from the play. Yeah. So <laughs> you're just, you're, you're putting together things in a very non-linear way. Yeah. When the movie itself actually is technically linear, it's like you're you're kind of getting stuff from all these different angles and mm-hmm. assembling yourself to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can you can you hear our cat right I, now? I, I can actually. We locked her out of our office because she kind of like has been climbing all over my desk lately, and I was worried she was gonna when she came in. Yeah. Okay, we'll just watch out for she her. She might unplug our microphone. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad I asked because I she was just like crying nonstop. In the oh, yeah, I, I, okay. I was like, somebody's hungry or something. Oh. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. She doesn't like when we're separated from her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. My, my boy's like that too. But, <laughs> but yeah, I also thought a funny thing about that scene was uh, Margaret Robbie is dressed up uh, like some kind of Elizabethan era mm-hmm. thing. Or like, didn't she appear in something like that? Like a movie like that or something, or my or mm-hmm. my my this is my brain. No, that sounds kind of familiar. I'd have to look at her IMDb or something to see, but yeah, that does sound kind of familiar. Like I feel like, the, yeah, the the image of her looking like that is like kind of reminiscent of something. Yeah, but and it's also kind of interesting because she's in a scene about a deleted scene. Yeah, exactly. So it's like so crazy. Yeah, yeah. He almost it's almost like he added it for her, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it plays it's, perfectly into the movie. Yeah, so maybe not. It but. almost feels like it's somewhat. Pivotal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's an important in a, scene. in a way, I'm not completely ready to to, to, uh, to explain. Yeah. That seems very like a very important moment. Well, there's a whole thing that just with the way that Augie is expressing emotion in this movie, like yeah, that scene it brings something out of him that's different than mm-hmm. a lot of than the rest of the movie, really. But I feel like there's a lot of moments throughout the movie where you can tell that he has this kind of like rage, and yeah. it, it's like so bottled up and buttoned up that it only comes out in these like really weird bursts. Yeah. Like when he punches through the playwright's window, like at Conrad Earp's place where he like punches the window when he's trying to open it. Yeah. He can't get it open. He punches it. It's just so like sudden and shocking. And then he just goes back to being like reserved like he was before. Oh yeah. That's interesting. And it's, it's kind of, I feel like the same thing about burning his hand. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like he reaches this moment where he's just like he has to like get it like let it out somehow, and that's how it comes out in the in that moment. Right. So yeah. I just I found that really interesting because I feel like a lot of Wes Anderson's characters have that kind of repressed <laughs> vibe to them. Oh yeah. And just seeing the emotion, the way that emotion like leaks out through that kind of it's almost a facade, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, for him like going through stuff with his wife dying and stuff, and you you don't see him really express anything about that too much yeah yeah so i found that really interesting yeah i I I feel like that's like a like on a on the meta level it's it's the actor discovering his way into the character finally and then it's also the character Mm -hmm. maybe i I don't know maybe that's just too simple a way of describing no that makes sense too because then he becomes very fixated on the i mean he's he mentions it several times why is he burn his hand so he's very like he doesn't he's he's trying to grasp that about the character like yeah. maybe to fully understand him but then it's also kind of like you probably wouldn't fully understand yourself yeah. either so i don't know yeah exactly mitch says something to augie about not expressing pain as a thing that like bonds him and her 
with yeah. to Augie. I think that was what really brought that up for me was like the physical pain is the way of expressing the emotional pain that he's going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one was really like, oh, that's kind of his whole character in my mind a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also like when she says smash everything off the shelf or the table, like when they're acting, when they're doing the, the scene together. Oh, yeah. 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 And he breaks the light bulb. Oh yeah, like, so I really thought about the fact that he's so ready to break stuff. It's well, it's like she's giving him permission to express himself. Right, That's right. how I felt in that moment. Where she was like, "It's in a scene. We're doing it. We're acting. Yeah, smash it." Right. And then he does it, and it's like he can express that because she's saying, "Do it. You have permission." That's right. Yeah, I like. I really like that. Yeah, the vibes that he's giving off is that he's very hesitant to throw himself into the scene, which is yeah. also like the use use your anger. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the first time I watched this movie, I it was so weird. I like didn't I had no build up to it and all of a sudden I started crying during that scene. The first time. Oh, like man. literal a tear came out. Then it then it was fine. It yeah. was almost like I had like an Augie moment. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't understand I really didn't understand why. I was like, why did that affect me? Like huh. I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I think that was why. Because I just felt like she was saying it's okay to have like an emotional moment. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I really tracked how much it was about his grief until mm-hmm. at least the second time I saw it. But I know yeah. that's a huge, uh, like, we kind of have had a conversation with somebody we know who's not a big Wes Anderson fan. And we kind of realized that was a crucial element of it is that the characters never actually really say what they're thinking or feeling like it's like everything is kind of it's the opposite of something where you kind of have the big moment where everybody sits down and talks about and and i'm not like putting down like i I tend to have a harder time with movies where people are just openly talking about their feelings at like their friend's funeral or whatever yeah Um, well it's it's a lot harder to do it right i think yeah it's hard it's hard to to make it feel like like real real people Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah i mean i think that's a tricky thing is to uh it lands sometimes as like, what are these people talking about? And it's like, oh, you didn't get that he's talking about his dead wife. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like also this is such a random, um, very specific Wes Anderson nerdiness thing, but he has characters say anyway a lot at the end of like a thing that they're saying. Do you know what I mean? They'll like talk from it. They'll be like, anyway. Like yeah. I think in, um, in Life Aquatic, when he says... I'm not going to say I'm sorry. And he goes, anyway, anyway I'm, I'm sorry. sorry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what about the three little, uh, the three little girls? That's, I think yeah. you touched on that. One of my favorite elements of the movie. These girls are cute and they're hilarious. I love them. So, so funny. I didn't, I didn't really hear most of what they were saying until I watched it with subtitles. <laughs> and I, I kind of prefer just the chaos of, the overlapping Altman madness of just every time they talk, they all talk together, but differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they're like doing, they're doing a round with different words yeah, or something. Yeah. And the, the way that you just hear these buzzwords, like they're obsessed with like demons witches. and witches and everything. Yeah. Um, you just kind of hear this cacophony of like Halloween stuff. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Delightful. Well, and I just wonder, cause I'm like, he, I'm sure that he tightly scripted it, but to get them to perform it like that, it seems so much like little kids just yeah being yeah weird little kids. Yeah, I'd be a little surprised if it wasn't to some degree them just going. Okay, but but I it mean, feels so. I guess the timing, but yeah. he could have. I guess they could have said it. They could have just done like a rough like run through and yeah. then timed it out. Yeah, or like got a lot of footage of them just talking. Maybe yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he certainly seems like he kind of gets everything exactly right, but mm-hmm. I'd be impressed just because like they, they act so much like they, they just have that way of saying stuff where you're just like, that's not how adults talk even like a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I, I, for some reason I was reminded of like, I guess the witches in Macbeth for some reason. And I don't know why. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, I think I kind of had a little flash of that too. Like, um, it does kind of feel like they're going to like break out into, into some toil and trouble at any moment. Yeah. Uh, Cause they, they do, right? Yeah. They do like a little spell when they bury their mom. Yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about, yeah. They bury, that's the way they bury their mom. And like Tom Hanks is like, well, okay. He's like, he like goes along with it at the end. I love that. That's just hysterical. Yeah. And then they try to put a curse on him when he's going to like take back the Tupperware from the earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tom Hanks really wants to, like bury his daughter like properly and then he just gives up eventually yeah and he's like you know what like it's all just so performative or something yeah like funerals and stuff that he's just like whatever this is what means i mean i don't know if i'm reading into it but it's like this is what means something to them let's just do it it's fine yeah no i i think that um i i think that there's a lot of it where he and augie both are holding on to this thing and and part of you know that's part of not not wanting to let go of that moment, like that final moment is kind of part of holding on to grief. So yeah, the mm. kind of like, screw it, let's just leave her there is, yeah, this interesting letting go moment. I, also with that moment where they um, do give up and bury her, there's a great little background joke that I didn't notice the first oh, time man. where uh, Steve, Steve Carell, you know, the, there's a running joke where he's asking everybody what juice they want yeah. through the whole movie. Um, and he asks Jason Schwartzman right before the, the quote unquote funeral and Schwartzman says tomato. And so when they're having the little, the little funeral moment, you can see Carell show up in the background <laughs> with a glass of tomato juice. <laughs> he's just, he's just kind of hovering that. awkwardly. It's so awkward. He does the funny. thing like when a waiter walks up on a family <laughs> praying at the table or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, starts to charge up with the juice and then stops short and just kind of like <laughs> hovers and eventually walks away. <laughs> Again, this is like the, the beverages in this movie. Are- yeah. yeah. Oh my God. And like, and yeah, it's like, oh God, what, what was I going to uh, Okay, repressed emotions. <laughs> I'm trying to go through all of everything we've gone through. Uh, the kids, the funeral, the juice. <laughs> the funeral, the juice. The funeral, the juice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Four juices and a funeral. Yeah, four juices. <laughs> <laughs> so the very, it's not the last scene, but close to the last scene is the you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who knew that, think that had chaos? Yeah, that was, that was what I was waiting for. I think we are there, actually, because the funeral is the last, the last thing before. There's the last meta moment after yep. that, and then there's the epilogue. Yep. So we're kind of there. So, yeah, I'm. I'm fascinated to talk about that, and hopefully um, it won't take three hours because I could talk about it for a while. Um, oh, oh, yeah, I would love to hear you because I honestly, that was like the one thing I, I mean, I got the, like the idea it was kind of like they're doing an actor exercise, but like mm-hmm. I wasn't really <laughs> sure what like what it was doing in the movie exactly, like what what the place of it or like what it was the meaning. Of, I mean, thematic resonance of it is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, isn't it like right after the right after Brian Cranston, who I guess is just the narrator, is that his mm-hmm. title? <laughs> when he is saying that Conrad or died, yeah, right? yeah, and then it's like that's his final scene of kind of like you know the documentary about his life or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so I kept trying to think like, how does that relate to his death, or like how does that relate to him 
I don't know, like the conclusion of his work or something, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't land anything there that made any sense to me. I kept thinking like, is it just, this is so not correct, but (laughs) my brain went to like, is it like his brain doing weird things? Mm. in depth mm. kind of like in the process of yeah i mean i don't i don't hate that that's interesting it's kind of, yeah that's kind of interesting like uh like your dying thoughts just kind of like firing exactly. off like yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's it's I, you would never think about it really if they didn't first of all it's practically the end of the movie um it, it's pretty much the last big thing that happens because the epilogue is kind of just like a fun little afterthought so it's pretty much the emotional finale of the mm-hmm. movie and they say it a thousand times. Yeah, so yeah. it's very hard not to just be kind of like, what What do you want from me, Wes? Something. Like, like I mean, what? If it's okay, like, I hear you. What do you say? If it's like, because they switch to color, they switch between the color and black and white in that scene too, right? Like they're kind of popping back and forth, don't they? Don't uh, the characters when they stand up go to color? I think you're right. So I kept wondering if it was like also kind of saying that the falling asleep is like, going through the layers almost Mm -hmm. and then the waking Mm. up is like waking up into like reality or into like the character you're playing or something yeah i was trying to relate it to that too but couldn't again couldn't really land it well it it, it, the first time it was a kind of it was a beat that took me out of it a little bit and kind of bothered me a little bit because i didn't really understand what it was trying to say and I mean, it felt a little false, but again, in the grand scheme of things, when you realize the entire movie is so much about artifice, that's kind of a ridiculous mm-hmm. thing to say about it. Um, well, it might be kind of the point, like hitting that harder. That's yeah, the concept, and, and definitely the acting thing. Um, like I know, I know, uh, I was literally trying to kind of read through and see what Wes Anderson, what Wes Anderson had to say about it, and he was, you know, vague as expected. Um, <laughs> including saying something like it will make more sense later, like a very strange, mm. like, Oh, interesting. Comment along those lines. Um, I think it makes more sense. The more I sit with it just as a, so the whole movie, I think, I, I think his original germ for this movie was there's like a photograph of Paul Newman in like the method school, like Strasburg school. And it's just like Paul Newman in like a white t-shirt, just like, you know, ready to learn, ready to go be like, be a, uh, big time actor and i think he just got really into that that's where you get the black and white that's where you get all the um the theatrical stuff i think it's a little bit of like a fantasy scenario like um you know what it would be like to be part of the marlon brando scene Um, yeah and and that is like like acting classes are kind of annoying like like by design like yeah like you have to expose yourself you have to embarrass yourself and that does that moment actually does feel pretty true to my limited experience in those kind of acting scenarios and improv and stuff like that stuff where everybody is kind of just like doing a thing and you're just the whole goal is to like not think about it too much just 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 write it 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 actually is somewhat accurate to i think how those scenarios kind of play out so oh, in that okay. sense it 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 does sort of it sort of vibes but it's still a big question mark to me just in terms of like the specific words. Very literally, what what does that phrase have to do with the movie? Yeah. What, so how do, what was the phrase again? How did it go exactly? It was like you can't, you can't you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. Ah. Okay. Yeah. You can't realize things unless you fully. Sub- oh, I think I, okay. I get the relevance to acting now. Okay. What John was saying. You turn off your brain to kind of wake up to instinct being, or something, maybe. Or you're being your character, or or. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, there's something about it that's very, like, um, 
it's a stonery college thing, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. it's something that like if you analyze it, you immediately feel a little um, silly. There was actually a, there was a piece, I can't remember, maybe Hollywood Reporter or something. Somebody actually asked a bunch of the Asteroid City actors um, like Hope Davis and Jeffrey Wright what they thought the line meant and, oh, and nobody agreed. And I don't think there was anything particular. I think maybe there were a couple of things where I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. But it sort of felt like they knew about as much as we do talking about it right now. See, I kind of like that. (laughs) Unfortunately, I like when things are sometimes frustratingly nonspecific. Yeah, no, I like that too. If I just don't think too hard about it, which maybe is also the point, I feel like I can make some sense of it a little bit, but it's like sense I could never articulate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I think it's like kind of like you kind of have like sleep is surrender. So you kind of have to surrender yourself to this greater this other thing in order to Mm -hmm. quote unquote wake up, I guess. Yeah. And that's how honestly any good piece of art really is. It's like you kind of have to you sort of like, you know, you you surrender to it to a degree and you just like kind of I mean, if you're sensitive at all or have any kind of like, you know, you, you let yourself you let the art speak to you. Like take over. Yeah, yeah, take over you or speak through you or speak to you or whichever way, whether as viewer or as the maker of the art. I think. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fits with the with drifting between the character that they're playing in Asteroid City and the character that they're playing in the TV production. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So I, I mentioned circling <laughs> back to Jarvis Cocker. Uh, oh, yeah. So Jarvis Cocker did another new song that's over the credits and it's literally goes back to that line again, underlining it. So the whole credit song is, is you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep, the theme song basically. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And so I mean that like it's in the movie. So I think that, that it's, you know, Important. it's, it's Someone. canon. Oh, oh, the song is canon. Yeah. You're going to read the lyrics. The, oh, this is exciting. Well, I don't know if I'll read all the lyrics, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's got a somewhat more straightforward, um, you, you know, um, you won't smell the roses if you never plant a seed. Ah. You can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. Can't make an entrance if you keep missing your cue. Can't pick a winner until you learn how to choose. So that's a much more straightforward, you know, like, you know, put one foot in front of the other. Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta start your day if anything's gonna happen. Um, a little bit motivational poster, but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? That actually relates to um, somebody. I can't. I wish I'd written down who said this, but someone says there's always already the thing I plan to do next, and oh, I wrote that down because I was like, that's literally how I live my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know, that ties in somehow to what you're saying, I think. Yeah, sure. Like, just about, like, not focusing on things and yeah, well, kind we of are, floating already... to the next thing too quickly. And right. I don't know. Stop stop and smell the roses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's also a little bit, like, we already kind of touched on the earlier scene um, that I, it, for me, is kind of the emotional peak of it where, um, where Schwartzman says, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know if I can keep doing because I don't understand it. Mm. And um, the director Schubert Green, yes, yes, yeah. Sh- Schubert's like doesn't matter. Just keep telling the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're like trying too hard to make sense of it instead of just like flowing yeah, just, with it. Kind just, of just do it. Yeah. Write it instead of analyzing it. Yeah, it's, so I think that all does tie in together way better than I thought it would. Thought it did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we worked through this, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. I think I've kind of made peace with it, but. I think it might just be that those acting class experiments just are annoying to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Even if you paint a completely realistic portrait of it. You're, like, flashing back to when you did something like that, and it was frustrating or annoying. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. That's, that's my problem. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I took sort of acting classes too in high school, and I remember that. Yeah, mm. stuff, stuff like that. It, it definitely, there's like always these weird little things they make you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that kind of takes us towards the ending, the denouement or whatever you, however you want to say it. Yeah, mm-hmm. the quarantine is like lifted like really suddenly. Mm-hmm. That's kind of hilarious. We see like mm-hmm. <laughs> we see a, uh, I think it was Augie's invention returned to him, and it's like it has like classified, declassified on it, reclassified, declassified. <laughs> <laughs> And they, they, you know, they basically leave town. I mean, after uh, all of this. Everybody just peels away real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting that it does, it, the movie ends within the play. Mm-hmm. Right. That is interesting. Yeah. And like, they, you know, they kind of make their sort of peace with each other. And I guess the story ends in a kind of nice little way. And it's not really a crazy ending or anything. Just kind of a nice little um, wrap up or whatever. And then, you know, they, there's like a little postcard that like Mitch leaves. Her, her oh yeah the p.o box yeah she left so him her p.o box yeah there's just i mean yeah it's all very like it's a very it feels like a play it's a very kind of like the sun sets on asteroid city thing mm-hmm. it's like um, yeah because once they leave the location you're contained to that location yeah so there's there's a there's a suggestion that there's a future for that relationship but it's not yeah everything's just very kind of whispered that's you know that's a very playwrighty thing to do yeah and the back and forth of it too because they're like oh she left you an address and you're like oh and then it's a p.o box and you're like oh yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. i like that and it's how like i don't know i enjoy that kind of hope and then cynicism sort of yeah that follows it yeah, and then there's like the like what's his name? Uh, 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 what's August kid's name? I can't remember now. He has a he has got a check because he won all that money from the the competition. The yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, you were, you were kind of saying just yeah. I mean, there's no there's not a big final moment, but even something like him winning the award, like that's not really what the play is about. I mean, they don't have like but, a big ceremony. And... Right. Every all the ceremonial stuff, the funeral, the award. All of it is like completely on, like it's essentially all off screen. Yeah, the two like cartoony motifs running through are the the Roadrunner and the um, the, the bad cop, guys, like the yeah, like the, yeah, yeah, the, cool. the cartoonish cops and robbers, mm-hmm. yeah, just constantly driving through town, <laughs> openly shooting at each other. It's like, yep, okay, the loops finally start over again. Yeah, the, yeah, the, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the book ends. Yeah, and then we have like a little. Uh, is there like a song? Is that from? Was that from a song that was used in Darjeeling Limited, or is it just like another kind of like Indian song? It's like a train. Oh, I'm not sure. Hmm. Sound, there's like at least at some point during the movie, there's like some song that sounded a lot like something from Darjeeling. Like, well, that could yeah. be a reference too. I haven't seen that movie in a long time either. Yeah, but yeah, it, it worked. It worked for me in the same way that like. Um, like a good play or a good like yeah the, the sort of way that you kind of feel that the that the um they're turning off the lights on the set or mm-hmm. whatever yeah it feels like that and and it, it worked for me and it, it just it made me feel that thing of just kind of like oh man i like asteroid city i don't really want to leave this town <laughs> yeah i like this little town no it's like oh it's over but at least they get, you get a little roadrunner dancing to to see you off there yeah <laughs> you know it's like that's nice i like that i mean i love that that's just a little bit of fun that they just had just like why not let's have the little uh, roadrunner puppet dance let's make it dance <laughs> apparently it wasn't it was an actual rod puppet it's not cgi oh that's wonderful yeah, yeah. He he loves the little puppets and stuff. There's there's some puppets in the new Raw Doll stuff too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And then what are your final thoughts on Asteroid City? Here we'll do the Jerry Springer final thought. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I I liked it the first time. I like it even more the second time. And analyzing it 
really kind of solidified that. But yeah, we did a Wes Anderson. I need to look at my list again. I tried to rate them all in order and this one was higher than I expected. So that's my favorite of his that I've seen. Yeah. I actually still haven't seen a lot of his movies. Like I've seen Rushmore, Bottle Rocket, Real Ten Bombs, Life Aquatic, Darjeeling Limited. I didn't, I think I kind of sort of checked out after that for a while, but then like, and I, I didn't really pay attention again until this movie. <laughs> myself but like this movie i i just absolutely loved it it just was like and like honestly just talking about it's make me want to see it again i know yeah there's like so many little layers and things to unpack on it and it's just a fun movie to watch it's just a pleasure yeah absolutely yeah like there's a there's a line tom hanks has when they're um we talked about the scene a little bit i really like the the bit with the the parents have just kind of completely fallen apart and like uh Liv Schreiber's just shooting at random stuff <laughs> with the with ray gun. The, yeah. Basically all talking about trying to break out. Like Liv Schreiber wants to like, you know, bust through the quarantine and get out. And Tom Hanks is like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I like the desert. I like aliens. I'm in no hurry to leave. And like, <laughs> the second time I saw it, I really seized on that. It's just kind of like, that's how I feel watching the movie. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 man, I'll just hang out here for like, there's, yeah, that's true. There's, there's smooth desert vibes. There's aliens. Everybody just is kind of having a good time. There's like, martinis. You know, there's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, I mean, the people, you know, discuss Wes Anderson's color palettes to death. Like I think there's entire social media accounts that only talk about that. But this one, like when I first saw the trailer, it was so like, again, it's like to some people, it's just going to look like another of his things, but it's almost sickly. Like it's so yeah, saturated yeah, it's and so kind high. of like um, left of center that uh, in the trailer, like it almost hurt my eyes, but in a pleasant <laughs> way, like you, I, you almost have to dial into it because it's so extreme. Um, and set against the black and white, it's even more like. Yeah. But something yeah. about it, like watching it a couple of times, I went from being kind of like, I don't know if that's my favorite of his color approaches to just really liking it and kind of just like wanting to to only look at that. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of how it gets under your skin, I guess. It's really interesting that it's like got that kind of desert sepia thing, mm-hmm. but at like 11 out of 10. Yeah. Like they just turned all, like you said, the saturation up really, really high. So it's like somehow extremely bright and also kind of has that muted 70s color yeah. palette thing that he does it's weird that they he can like do both at once but yeah i mean yeah it's, it's almost like an it's like an orange sand as opposed to like yeah yeah. Sand. yeah yeah like, like a mean, tropical desert or something yeah it's, i mean it's very much a looney tunes desert yeah <laughs> true yeah. <laughs> that was clearly a reference he was uh, uh using right but yeah i yeah like i said i love this movie um is there anything uh y'all have to plug yeah, so Macarathon's going to be um, December 16th through 17th. That's a Christmas marathon that lasts 24 hours that Aubrey and I work on with a bunch of other people. And um, that's going to be in Greenville at the Wandering Bard Meadery. And um, we're going to be playing all VHS tapes this year. So we're just oh, going to basically be like literally cycling through like the weirdest christmas vhs tapes that we can find oh yeah i'll, I'll see if i have anything uh um, yeah yeah i also uh I, I don't know do you ever use uh feeders or feeders two sleigh bells yeah we watched we watched feeders two yeah <laughs> i think it's just feeders two that's christmas yeah oh okay, okay. yeah feeders two is rough Oh, God, it is ridiculous. Oh, God, I could talk about feeders. I was obsessed with that movie as a kid. Because it was like... like the first feeders? Yeah, yeah, because, like, I um I rented it for Blockbuster. You know, this was, like, when I was getting into Mystery Science Theater, so I was, like, looking for bad movies to watch. Right. 
<laughs> and that was like hitting not just the jackpot, but like, oh my god, what the? F- I mean, I was I couldn't believe the movies could look like that, like that cheap, right. <laughs> you know? Because I was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's got that really milky straight to video look, and I mean, it's literally like sock puppets in that movie, right? Yeah, they're like little sock puppets, and it's like video toaster effects that were like yeah. the exact same thing that we uh, used in our film class and everything. I, right. Yeah, especially before um, the uh, first Mac, because it was before that was just all VCRs. Yeah. VCR editing. I definitely laid down some video toaster effects in that class back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for wrapping this up with me. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for having us on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you have any constructive comments, movie suggestions, or stories of your own otherworldly sightings or encounters, drop us a line at saucercinemapod at gmail.com.